77 WABC. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR FM Hampton Bays. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Welcome to the jungle. There's Slash there playing his riffing. So many of you white boys out there playing hacky sack uh, as the hawk is talking below zero. At least that's what the wind chill factor feels like. Playing your air guitar. But I don't think anybody would doubt that New York City is a total jungle now. Look at it. Look at it. Come on. And how many times have I heard people, not just at this station, other radio stations, talk TV stations, say, New York City, the greatest city in the world. Are you crazy? Do you people actually walk the streets? Do you live in the city? Do you take the subways? Do you take the buses? Do you go into the outer boroughs? The answer is no. You must be delusional. Either that or it's a tick. It's a knee-jerk reaction. The greatest city in the world. Not... Look at it. It's abandoned. (laughs) Look at all the homeless. The emotionally disturbed. Another guy gets pushed into the tracks on Canal Street off of the A and C train. And now they're talking about, oh, yeah, we're going to put up subway platform barriers. The hell are you talking about, subway platform barriers? You have no freaking idea. I know where they exist around the world in subway and metro and underground stations. I know where it works, where it doesn't work. And by the way, where are you going to get the money necessary? $7 billion. And you know that's no frills. By the time all is said and done, installing subway platform barriers, uh, just quadruple that amount of money. Come on. These people are not dealing with reality. And look at our mayor. Three weeks into office, right? Eric Adams ran on a law and order platform. Many people have come up to me and said, wait a second, you know, Curtis, he was a cop. He was a cop for 22 years, wore a bulletproof vest and a gun each and every day. He knows. He knows how to get control of the city. What the hell are you all talking about? 
We've had more crime, more shots, cop, more cops shot in the first three weeks of Eric Adams' administration than in any three-week period of Bill de Blasio's administration. And he was hopelessly folding like a cheap camera to the criminal element in New York City. Defunded the police. Right? Did everything he could to make the, the life of police officers miserable in the city. And yet, we never had this. Three weeks all of a sudden, right? Hey, I'm going to come in law and order. You know, we're going to get control of the city. Absolutely. It's nothing that's going to stop us. You'll see. We're going to get busy. We're going to get stuff done, right? He wears that mask. Getting stuff done. What stuff, other than going to vigils and press conferences, you haven't done Jack Diddley Squad, Eric Adams, and all you've talked about is, I want to get paid in cryptocurrency. I want to get paid in Bitcoin. Well, you got paid, and Bitcoin has dropped like a rock. It's got like half its value. You deserve it. You absolutely deserve it because you sold everybody wolf tickets. You sold them wolf tickets because you're trying to appease everyone. Instead of taking one route, one route that has been done before, we already saw it. All you got to do is just follow in the footsteps of what Rudy Giuliani did in 1992 uh, during the campaign when he got elected and sworn in 1993 to turn New York City from the murder capital of America. 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 unsolved shootings. That was 1993 into what was the safest big city in America by the time he left in eight years, right? Nobody thought it could be done. Ah, it can't be done. It's hopeless. In fact, this city is just too difficult to manage. Think of it. Look at what has happened. Five cops shot in three weeks. The first cop that was shot, 25th Precinct, if you remember, Right between Lexington, 119th Street, Park Avenue. He was working two shifts like so many other cops on New Year's Day because 20% of the force was out because they were positive COVID-19. He was laying up in his own private car in the driver's seat. Somebody shot him in the back of the head. Has that been solved, huh? Has any arrest been made on that? Nothing. You don't even hear about it any longer. And then we saw the other two cops shot back-to-back, belly-to-belly. One in the uh, Bronx by a rapper, a degenerate rapper named C. Blue, who claimed that he mistakenly accidentally shot the cop in the Belmont section of the Bronx up near 187th Street. Yeah, 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 sure. And then the cops who were doing, serving a warrant on an apartment in Staten Island. And the thug inside actually started blasting the cops. Thank God. They had a bulletproof repelling shield. The cop got shot anyway in the leg, or all of his other colleagues may have been shot also. And then we take you to the situation that has us all mourning the loss of a police officer in the line of duty who was shot down as three uh, New York City police officers responded to a domestic dispute on 135th Street on Friday evening. Police officer Jason Rivera, married father of one, joined the force in 2020, resident of Inwood, and now his partner, Wilbert Mora, who joined the NYPD in 2018. Unfortunately, he has a bullet lodged in his brain. He's had a second surgery. He's been removed from Harlem Hospital over to NYU Langone. 
Uh, we hope that he will survive. It's like 50-50 now. And then the police officer, a brand-new rookie, who beat it down on this enemy of society, LaShawn McNeil, and took him out. Took him out. Shot him in the head. Shot him in the arm. And guess what? He's alive in Harlem Hospital, right? I mean, God forbid if all of a sudden Mora also passes away. Two cops would have died, right? And LaShawn McNeil lives so that we'd have to spend, on average, $500,000 a year when someone is remanded, no bail, which is a rare thing in New York City nowadays, to jail. Gee, I wonder if Alvin Bragg would do that, probably in this case. Uh, it would cost us $500,000 a year to give him three hots in a cot, free optical, free dental, free trips to the law library, pay for his legal aid lawyer so that they could try to find a nuance in the law to ask for a mistrial, ask for a retrial, ask for an appeals process. That is the legal system that we have going for us right now. I saw one of our phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember, this time last Sunday, we were talking about Eric Adams, the brand-new mayor, responding to what had transpired the day before when the 40-year-old Asian woman was pushed in front of the tracks at the 42nd Street Times Square station of the R and the N train at 10 o'clock in the morning Saturday. Uh, The life was crushed out of her. And the following day, Eric Adams, our brand-new mayor, said it's only a perception of crime in the subway. All of you, uh, you're too emotional. Uh, You're not looking at the analytics. You're not looking at the stats. Crime is actually down in the subway. Remember he said that a week ago, right? Now all of a sudden he's a scaredy cat. Uh, 48 hours later he was saying, even I'm afraid to go into the subways. It's fear city. It's scared city. We got too many guns. We got too many, too much crime going on. We got too many gangs. How do you go from a guy who's saying that it was a perception of ours that there is crime in the subway and that it doesn't relate to the facts, the analytics, the stats, to 48 hours later, a guy saying he's a scaredy cat himself to go into the subway. To now a guy who is ranting and raving in reaction to the death of a police officer, and rightfully so, he should be ranting and raving and he should be angry like everybody else should be angry. But then suddenly saying that uh, crime is out of control in the city. How do you, You're like a manic depressive. I mean, how else do you describe it? And let me go through a few of the things, because today on his bully pulpit, his national bully pulpit, and two of the uh, uh, appearances that he made, uh, Good Morning America and CNN, naturally he was asked about the two crazy killers in a week who thought that they were God. Both these guys have thought they were God. I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. You would have thought they should have been in a mental health care hospital, a psychiatric hospital, right? Five cops already shot in New York City this year. You figure two's a trend, three's a development, five's an epidemic. And who does Eric Adams blame? He blames not us. He blames the federal government. Uh, My plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, Number one, the role of the federal government. 
of the police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle and the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. The federal government must step in. And play a role. What about our role, Mayor Eric Adams? What about us taking responsibility for decisions that have been made just in the last few years since the summer of 2020, in which there was all kinds of chaos, all kinds of just total mayhem and anarchy that was taking place in our city? How about us? taking responsibility for everything that was done here to impair the police, to weaken them. A number one, it wasn't the federal government who told us to defund the police, was it? No. It was Bill de Blasio, your comrade, your partner in eight years, uh, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we love and rendered the police impotent because he and the city council defunded the police by a billion dollars. Are we going to blame the feds for that? We did it to ourselves. How did that no cash bail situation work out, Mayor Eric Adams? Some of your friends up there in Albany who are responsible for this. Cuomo, on his way out, who you hugged and accepted his endorsement. Followed by now Kathy Holcomb, who you hug and you love to work with her, even though she has maintained the no cash bail system. What about Stuart Cousins, the majority leader of the Senate with a supermajority? What about Hasty, uh, the Speaker of the House from the Bronx, Carl Hasty? All of whom they've said, no, we're not budging on the no cash bail situation. In fact, Generis from Astoria has said, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Are you going to confront them, Eric Adams, or are you going to continue? If you can play that cut again, to blame the federal government for the problems of guns, gangs and violence in the city of New York. Uh, My plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, Number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, The police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle. And the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. Misinformation. Let me straighten it out. We already have 2 million illegal handguns floating around the five boroughs of the city of New York. That's an estimate by the NYPD, 2 million illegal handguns. So let's look at the analytics, okay? It's about 8 million, 8.5 million people here when you count up the uh, illegal aliens. Maybe 9. Uh, 2 million illegal handguns. That means almost one gun in the hands of every four people. Most of them are law-abiding. They're not thugs. Most of them, uh, they have businesses 
or they have this uh, in their premises because they can't get a permit. It's almost impossible to get a permit in New York City, especially a carry permit. You have to be part of the privileged elite or you had to grease the police. Uh, you know, Phil Banks, the guy that you've appointed deputy mayor of public safety, he knows all about that. He was part of that whole investigation into pay for play in which people of wealth paid for gun carry permits, whereas average everyday people who are under attack, they can't get it. What are you going to do about the two million illegal handguns that are already here? Stop blaming the feds. And when you blame the feds, you got to blame President Joe Biden, Vice President Harris. You got to blame Garland at the Department of Justice. You got to blame the FBI. You got to blame the DEA. You got to blame you got to blame every agency that has anything to do with crime, crime prevention or guns. You believe this guy? Hey, look, I warned you. I warned you that he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. You tell me how he's law and order. If in the first three weeks we've had more cops shot, five, one dead, one clinging to life, we've had more crime, more crime in all different categories than we ever had in any three-week period, believe it or not, in the eight years of the feckless week, hopelessly in retreat, Bill de Blasio. Answer me that question, huh? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 77 WABC online store. This is Dominic Carter. Go to WABCRadioStore.com and check out the new 77 WABC merchandise from t-shirts and hats to jackets and bags. Enter discount code Dominic15 for 15% off your purchase at WABCRadioStore.com. You'll want to go, go, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Bad song. Bad song. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Ah, come on. That's not me. We're talking about crime. We're talking about urban areas. How can you pick Creedence Clearwater Revival? Are you a Gabon? Are you thinking this is Woodstock 1969? You think you could have picked a message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, huh? Then again, hey, you're a, a dollar short and a day late. Uh, once again, my Esther, I want to hear Eric Adams blame our incredibly increasing violent crime rate on the feds not doing their job. Uh, my plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, the police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle. And the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. Bull feathers, bull feathers again distract, uh, try to talk about a situation that, yes, needs to be dealt with, but isn't the main reason that we're having all these problems now. 
and blame it on the federal government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you just say President Joe Biden, Vice President Harris, Garland, the Attorney General, the Department of Justice, the FBI, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, the DEA. Why don't you just spell it all out? But all this is is to deflect what you should be doing is taking a hammer to the DAs in all five boroughs who already have, and I know we're talking about Alvin Bragg because he published his manifesto. Let me tell you something. Each and every one of these DAs in their office has posted up a memo for do not prosecute these crimes. They've all done it. Not as publicly Not as egregiously as Alvin Bragg, but let's look at Eric Adams, best buddy of all the DAs, Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn. He was promoting him, along with the other sickle fans, toadies and lackeys of the corrupt Kings County Democratic machine that wants all jobs in all places. They already have Eric Adams as mayor. They have Jumani Williams, who hates the cops, who wants to release criminals from prison, who lives on Fort Hamilton, the open garrison, the safest place in New York City on an army base. Uh, And yet he he doesn't want you to have police protection. While he has cops protecting him 24-7-365. Typical. And then our new controller, oh, my God, what a piece of work, Brad Lander, all from Brooklyn, and he wanted Eric Gonzalez to become the state attorney general if, in fact, Hitch James ran for governor. But, by the way, she's from Brooklyn, too. So, Eric Gonzalez, you remain the Kings County District Attorney who has a diversion program. Do you realize this? For first-time gun busts, where no violence is used, you don't go to jail. It used to be a year in jail mandatory if you're caught with a loaded gun, you're caught with a gun, sometimes even a facsimile gun. A year mandatory in jail. No more. So in the borough with two and a half million people that has more violence, more guns, more gangs than any other borough, Eric Gonzalez, the DA, for a first-time gun bus, no jail time. No jail time whatsoever. Even Bill de Blasio disagreed with that and took on Eric Gonzalez. Have you heard Eric Adams criticize his friend Eric Gonzalez? And Brooklyn has had the least amount of time of any of the five boroughs in the city per gun conviction. What does that tell you something? All roads lead to Brooklyn. But now let's look at Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg, by the way, remember his narrative? He said it here when he was in his debate against his eight adversaries, well, seven adversaries in the Democratic primary to become the Manhattan District Attorney. Right here on the stage at WABC, for all to hear and all to see, he has not vacillated. He has not surrendered his belief that he wants to hug the thugs and turn them loose. Alvin Bragg did not even bother going to Harlem Hospital. To pay his respects, even though he lives a few blocks away in Harlem, you remember his narrative. Oh, I had a gun put into my face three times by thugs and then three other times by cops, right? We've heard that narrative over and over. Alvin Bragg has not been, to my knowledge, to the 32nd precinct to pay his respects. And he probably won't even show up at the wake at St. Patrick's Cathedral, that Patty Lynch uh, of the PBA has urged all New Yorkers and others to attend 1 to 8 p.m. St. Patrick's Cathedral 
This is on Thursday. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine. I'm hoping to see you there because I'll certainly be there with the Guardian Angels and hoping you'll be there. This is the funeral for police officer Jason Rivera, age 22, a married father of one uh, who went to George Washington High School from uh, Upper Manhattan Inwood. Hopefully you'll be there. Funeral mass will be on Friday, St. Patrick's Cathedral, and then he'll be cremated at a different location. Uh, and our prayers for Wilbert Mora, age 27, who joined the police department in 2018, has a bullet lodged in his brain, has had a second surgery at Harlem Hospital, and has been transported to NYU Langone for further treatment. It's 50-50 as to whether he will survive or not. Meantime, the guy who calls... Caused all this, LaShawn McNeil, who was shot by the third cop, thank God, in his head, in his hand, is still alive, and we're caring for him at Harlem Hospital. Think about this. What are you going to do about Alvin Bragg, Eric Adams? Huh? What are you, why are you afraid of him? Huh? How come everybody else is condemning him, but you're afraid of Alvin Bragg? You said, oh, he's a good prosecutor. Uh, we'll, we'll sit down. We'll resolve our differences, really. Really, nobody has faith in you, Eric Adams. If you're not going to man up and take on Alvin Bragg, friend of all gun-toting, gang-banging thugs in Manhattan County, he will not seek prison sentences for gun possessions at all, even for adults. Well, if you commit homicide, yeah, serious physical injury, yeah, Uh, attacks against police, no, sex crimes, yeah, uh, political corruption, yes, I think that's what Eric Adams is worried about because so, City Hall is in Manhattan. <laughs> and he's got some corrupt appointees there. Uh, Frank Carone is chief of staff in the whole Kings County corrupt Democratic machine, their patronage mill. My God, it will eventually lead to indictments. I am predicting that. And naturally, the focus of Alvin Bragg will be not criminals who run the streets, no-collar, blue-collar criminals, but Donald Trump, Donald Trump's family, Donald Trump's business owners. Just like Tish James, the state attorney general, the highest law enforcement official in New York, says nothing about all this gun violence, nothing about the gangs, but rather devotes her entire workday to prosecuting the former president, Donald Trump, Donald Trump's family members, and Donald Trump's businesses. Our crime crisis is not the result of Donald Trump. And yet everybody out there will continue to elect these Democrats who talk out of both sides of their mouth. I saw the queue at Harlem Hospital. The cops showed up in full force. Patty Lynch and the other uh, police uh, union members were there. The brand-new police commissioner, who so far is insignificant, she was there. The mayor, obviously, was there. And then elected officials were there. The very elected officials who were responsible for no cash bail, who are responsible for defunding the police. Jumani Williams had the chutzpah to be there. Richardson, the lieutenant governor chosen by Kathy Holcomb, was there. And they're all nodding their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, and yet, how many people are so gullible to this? They play rope-a-dope with you. Come on. Get with it. In the first three weeks... Of the Eric Adams administration, we've had five cops shot, one of them unfortunately dead, another one clinging to life. We've had more crime in all categories than Bill de Blasio ever had in any three weeks of his eight years of feckless, inept support of law enforcement.
So what happened to the law and order guy? Uh, Maestro won last time, huh? Maestro. Hey, Maestro. One last time. I want to uh, hear my plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, the police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle. And the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. Let me ask you a question. Let's look at this most recent mutt scale of Sean McNeil. Let's look at the narrative. His mother lived in an apartment on 135th Street in Harlem. His younger brother disabled. He had bounced around from uh, South Carolina where he was busted on a gun charge. Uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he was busted assaulting a police officer. And then to Maryland, I'm assuming uh, in Baltimore or in the outskirts of Baltimore. In August of this year, his mother asked LaShawn McNeil, age 47, to come to her home and help take care of his younger brother who is disabled. That was when their first domestic call went on a 911 call to the NYPD involving LaShawn McNeil and his mother. And do you know what this one call was about? was about him getting his vegan meal. He's arguing with his mother about the content of his vegan meal. That's why she had to call 911 on this domestic situation. But let's look at LaShawn McNeil. She says to LaShawn, who she already knows is a gun toter, LaShawn, when you come back to Harlem here to help me take care of your younger brother, disabled, because I just had a stent put in, I have some coronary problems, do not bring your guns. She knew that her own son was a gun-toting thug. The gun that he used to execute the one police officer, shoot the other police officer, had been stolen in a house in Baltimore in 2017. How is that gun running? I'm assuming that when LaShawn McNeil was laid up in somebody's crib, either in Baltimore or in the Beltway or somewhere in Maryland, before he was summoned by his mother, that he took that gun of his the illegal handgun that had been stolen in 2017 that he probably procured in the streets and took it on the Greyhound because they don't pad you down. Uh, They don't do any searches like they used to do. They actually used to profile you getting on and off the Greyhound buses there in the Port Authority. But naturally, that stopped because they were called racist, even though that's the way they were toting drugs down to D.C. and in Baltimore. And they were making unbelievable gun bus, unbelievable bus in which guys would be caught with athletic bags full of crack, full of cocaine, full of heroin. And they don't do that anymore because that's considered racist. So LaShawn McNeil brings this uh, stolen weapon in 2017. I doubt it was him who stole it. Probably got it in the street. And he brings it with him to Harlem, and he ends up shooting both cops. And thankfully, the third cop shoots him in the arm, shoots him in the head. Unfortunately, he didn't die. How is that? How is that the federal government with gun running? I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots on this. 
And then these other schmucks and putzes. As another guy is pushed into the tracks on Canal Street earlier today. They have the video out. You see him all of a sudden. Timber! He's pushed into the tracks. Uh, they want us to spend $7 billion on subway platform barriers. They've never visited as a city, uh, a metro system, an underground, uh, the tubes in London. Uh, some of the stations, they have those subway platform barriers, not because people are being pushed into the tracks, I might add, in those cities, because of suicide attempts or people who are drunk who just fall into the tracks. Seven million billion, excuse me, that we don't have seven billion dollars. And they think that's going to stop it because it isn't going to be on every one of the 428 subway stations in the city of New York. You know, they need to ride the subways. They need to see for themselves. They need to get a hands on experience of what's going on in this city. And we're blaming the federal government. When all else fails, blame the federal government. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Olina, who's calling from Teaneck, New Jersey, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Olina. Hello. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful Communist Manifesto. Let's take the guns off the street. Guns don't commit crimes. Thugs commit crimes. Criminals commit crimes. Uh, knives don't kill. They, you can cut bread with knives. It's the criminals that stab. Drugs don't go chasing you down the street. It's the pushers that go chasing you down the street. This mayor has got it all wrong. He's, he's looking at the tools. He's not looking at the perpetrators. Right, but you see, Olina, he's no different than these other Democratic mayors all over the country who have incredibly escalating violent crime, gang-related crime in their cities. They're all now singing the same tune, blaming the federal government because of gun runners. And that is true. Gun running uh, does hurt these municipal areas, but it isn't the key factor. The key factor is the no-cash bail. The key factor is the move to defund the police, which has been done in all these cities. The key factor is the George Soros-funded district attorney candidates who get elected, who want to hug the thugs, who want to turn them loose. Unfortunately, some of these are Eric Adams' uh, supporters. It's the Mutual Admiration Society, and he won't criticize them. He will not take a stand and criticize them. You don't do that. You don't deal with the problem. Let's go to Dave, where the hawk is talking in Englewood, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. How you doing, uh, Curtis? I know you don't like it, but thank uh, you for being angry. We are all angry with this crime going through the roof. Now, we got a real broken system. We got a mayor. We got the prosecutors. And we got illegal guns. And what we got to do, we got to, and and thank you for playing that recording of Eric Adams saying, oh, we took these guns. Did you hear what he said? Thousands of guns off the street. Did you hear his recording? Oh, yeah. And by the way. He really, are we to believe that he actually took thousands, him since being in office, thousands of guns? No, no, no. What what he's really uh, meaning in that, I'll give him some slack on that, is over the years. But what he hasn't said is that his ally, his partner who uh, single-handedly destroyed the city, Bill de Blasio, 
uh, defunded the police by a billion dollars, and with that took away the anti-crime unit. Just to give you an example, the anti-crime unit, these are men and women that were undercover who are very good at what they do. They're like thespians, actors and actresses. They're in yellow cabs. They're in livery cabs. They're in gypsy cabs. They're in FedEx, UPS trucks. They blend into the atmosphere, and they were able to make 50% of the gun arrests, 600 men and women in a force of 35,000. And what did de Blasio and the city council do? Uh, get rid of stop and frisk. I would have thought that Eric Adams, who campaigned, Dave, and said he was going to put back stop and frisk. First well, we thing. we got to do that. Right. First thing, day one. Day one, he would have done that, especially in the high crime areas, in the 15 most violent precincts in the Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn uh, and Manhattan. I could have taken him and shown him those precincts and imposed it immediately. Did he do it, Dave? Well, he's got to do this immediately. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Dave. And also, these prosecutors got to prosecute people and put them away. You can't put the people in danger every night. And and this is only this weekend. And and what's going to happen if we don't? Do, it's going to get worse. We got to do this immediately. You're right, Dave. And it should have been done. It should have been done day one. Remember what Eric Adams was saying when he beat me on November 2nd. That's November 2nd. He said, day one, we're going to crack down on crime. It's going to be law and order. Uh, we're going to have the anti-crime unit back out there making gun busts, uh, busting up the gangbangers. We're going to have stop and frisk. He said all of that, Marquana Mai. I'm still waiting here, Dave, and I know all of you are waiting. Yes, yes. Oh, God. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm telling you what the guy said on a regular basis. I warned you about this. I told you he wasn't going to do it. And when he does eventually do it, he'll be half-stepping. He won't go the whole nine yards. Has he at one moment picked up the phone and said, Rudy, I could use some advice. Could be a private call. He doesn't have to publicize it. He's already said every day he talks to Bill de Blasio. Oh, that's really going to help him with public safety, with crime, with guns, with drugs. And probably when he's talking to Bill de Blasio, he's in the middle of smoking Maui Waui and Hindu Kush. How is that going to help in getting control of the city streets and subways, talking to Bill de Blasio once a day, the failed mayor, the worst mayor in our lifetime? Eric, Eric, pick up the phone, you know, on the QT, on the hush, hush, mush, mush, with an agreement that Rudy won't tell you that you spoke, you won't say anything. You know, it's like fail-safe. Remember when JFK is talking to Nikita Khrushchev to prevent nuclear annihilation of the world? Pick up the phone and learn from the guy who's already did it, who knows exactly what to do. Listen to his advice. Eric Adams, you were the one who said that your own guy, David Dinkins, was soft when it came to crime. You're quoted as saying that. I remember you saying that. And that Rudy was the right guy to deal with crime. Now all of a sudden you forgot. You will forgot all about Rudy Giuliani. He's a person of no consequence. He's the only person to have done this. You figure, yeah, why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, a little new touch at the cafe. A little will be scared you sit down with Rudy. Rudy, if you were in my situation, what would you do? You don't have to take all of Rudy's advice. But some of it's going to work, Eric Adams. Stop being so obstinate. Stop being so pretentious. Stop being so all-knowing when, in fact, you don't really know. Because right now, 
if we just look at the analytics, you've had more crime, more violence, more cops shot in the first three weeks of your administration than any three weeks of the eight years of Bill de Blasio. Anyway, let's go to Andrew, uh, where the hawk is talking in Stanhope, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andrew. You're right, and it's only been eight weeks. That's appalling. My wife's 40 years old and Asian. She has to be worried to go into these blue cities. But to segue what you said, that the blaming the federal government when you have the district attorney, which is a soft on crime, George Soros, look at the Christmas uh, SUV attack. The guy had used a vehicle to run over his ex-girlfriend a week before. And they let him out for only $1,000. So that has, like, you're right, that has nothing to do with the federal government. Stop and frisk under Bloomberg and Giuliani. That was used. So, um, and you, as you pointed out, the, the crimes unit, that's all city. That's not federal. So he disbanded that when he said, we take thousands of guns. Well, how, how did you do that when you don't have stop and frisk? And when Judy, last when Rudy was, Mayor and Bloomberg, there were gun manufacturers just like there are now, just the same amount, yet the shootings went down in the black neighborhoods 80% because of your, I can't say in an Italian, but you say your friend bought a cheat, Rudy Giuliani. So it was, there were gun manufacturers back then Andrew, when, Andrew, when Rudy remember, lowered and, it. And you reminded me that in the 12 years of Michael Bloomberg, he actually used City Corporation Council to sue, to sue gun shops, gun manufacturers, anything, any way that they could actually pin uh, guns coming into the city illegally on store purchasers. So, for instance, some guy in Steubenville, Ohio, uh, members of Wu-Tang Clan, uh, uh, some guy in Morgantown, West Virginia, walks into a gun shop, buys a whole trunk full of guns, drives it to New York City, and then sells those guns out of the back of the trunk of his car the way you would sell CDs. If you were a brand-new rapper and you were trying to establish some street cred, same way. And Bloomberg went after them, and Bloomberg sued them. uh, And that wasn't the way the guns were limited in coming in because when all is said and done, and this is what nobody wants to deal with. I deal with it every day. It's leader of the Guardian Angels. February 13th will be our 43rd anniversary. Uh, I'm in 13 countries, 130 cities. I see this in other countries. But here in New York City, there are, by NYPD estimates, 2 million illegal handguns here already. Now, like plastic bags, they don't self-destruct. You know how you take a plastic bag, you bury it, Uh, in a landfill, and it takes, what, like a 100 years for it to slowly start uh, to uh, biodegrade. You can have a gun that's 100 years old. It can still shoot. It can still fire. It can still kill and maim people. So if you have 2 million guns, most of which are owned by law-abiding people who cannot qualify for the limited number of NYPD home or business premises permits, Well, God forbid you get a carry permit. My God, you know, that's like platinum. That's like having the platinum card from American Express. you got to be well-heeled. 
you got to have juice with the NYPD. Or in the case of the uh, new deputy mayor of public safety that Eric Adams said, I have to have him, even though he's been tainted in the past. Look at his track record. He and his buddies with white shirt immunity in the NYPD back when he was riding high in the saddle was selling these permits to the wealthy, the rich, the well-heeled. Not to average everyday men and women who are under attack, under siege, who, are, who own little businesses, mom and pop shops, or needed for self-protection, or needed to protect their domicile. Oh, no. What are we talking about here? Come on, let's get real here, ladies and gentlemen. I, I know you're going to hear from a, a wide variety of talk show hosts and hostesses, and they have their own unique experiences. But can you tell me that there's anybody out there who has more experience in the streets of New York City than me when it comes to guns? A guy who's got been shot five times with hollow point bullets with a 38 special on behalf of the Gaudis to the Gambinos and Michael Iannotti, who did 20 years and is now out. And I can't wait to find this guy. Oh, yeah. 20 years was not enough. What did he get sentenced by Alvin Bragg for trying to kill me? You know, Alvin Bragg has a policy as the brand new Manhattan DA, which is maximum that I'll ask for is 20 years for the most egregious crime. And then you know what happens. You do state time 20 years, you're out in 16 to go out and do it all over again. By the way, uh, we have 15,000 signatures on a petition. We were the first to do it, a partnership. Andrew Giuliani, son of Rudy Giuliani, who's running for the Republican nomination to become the next governor of the state of New York, against Lee Zeldin, the congressman from Suffolk County, and Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive. I'm supporting Andrew Giuliani. We have put out a petition, change.org. You can go to my Facebook page, the Curtis Lee Facebook page. We have 15,000 signatures saying to Kathy Holcomb, That's right. That's her name, Hokum, which means nonsense because she's full of nonsense. She has the power in the executive offices of the governor in Albany to remove any district attorney in the state of New York for almost no reasons whatsoever. She could remove a mayor for no reasons whatsoever. Now, I wouldn't allow that to happen. I mean, I would change that. But it exists. Or she could remove Alvin Bragg on a case-by-case basis. George Pataki did that to Bronx D.A. Johnson when he wouldn't seek a death penalty charge, when the death penalty was still relevant, uh, in which a guy went into a shoe store on White Plains Road underneath the L of the number two train and executed members of the staff. And rightfully so, Pataki said, Johnson, I'd like you to seek the death penalty. And Johnson says, no, I never seek the death penalty. And he replaced him on a case-by-case basis. It has been done in the past. It can be done. Go to my Curtis Lewa Facebook page, sign that petition, spread it around. And this week, I and Andrew Giuliani will end up outside of the governor's New York City offices on 40th and 3rd, and we will be presenting these petitions and forcing the issue. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Paid not attorney spokesperson. RDP Law Group with principal office in Washington, D.C. is responsible for the content of this ad. If you or a loved one is using or used a sleep device, listen closely. Philips brand CPAP, BiPAP, and APAP breathing sleep devices may cause respiratory failure, kidney, lung, liver injuries, blood, lymph node, or thyroid cancer. That's right. These machines have been recalled due to the toxic foam in these devices breaking down into black particles and gas that can be inhaled or swallowed by a CPAP user. Call 800-660-2734 now, as you may be entitled to 
a significant financial compensation. Call our special toll-free number now to see if you qualify. If you or a loved one have been diagnosed with lung, kidney, or liver cancer, call 800-660-2734 now. The call is free and phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-660-2734. If you or a loved one used a Philips CPAP device, you may be entitled to significant financial compensation. Call 800-660-2734. It's Ramsey Mazda's Sundays with Sinatra. With your host, Joe Piscopo. This Sunday night starting at 6. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. It's witchcraft. Yet I get a kick out of you. It's Ramsey Mazda's Sundays with Sinatra. This Sunday night starting at 6. With me, Joe Piscopo. On Introducing a breakthrough in time management technology. A whole new day of the week. It's called Someday. Ingenious. Perhaps someday you are going to go skydiving. Enter a hot dog eating contest. Maybe ride a mechanical bull. Now it's on the calendar. You may want to retire someday. Ready for that? You'll really want this. A My Social Security account at socialsecurity.gov. You can estimate your future benefits, plan for your retirement, and how to save for it. If you already receive benefits, you can manage them online. Millions of people already have a My Social Security account. In fact, someone opens one about every six seconds. Get yours today, because someday is here at socialsecurity.gov. Talk Radio 77 WABC. office building, 75% of them unoccupied. People telling us over and over, we're not coming back. It's fear city. There's crime everywhere. And our brand new mayor, Eric Adams, said he was going to change all that. Remember? He was going to, hasn't done jack diddly squat anything. And now in his first three weeks, on his watch, he blames the federal government in the fact that he's had more crime in three weeks, more cops shot one unfortunately dead, one clinging to life than Bill de Blasio ever had in any three-week period of his inept, inefficient eight years as mayor of the city of New York. And, 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 and none of the reporters ask him that. It's like, hey, guy, you were supposed to be the law and order guy from day one. What happened? Oh, yeah, but I, I'm going to issue my plan uh, next week. What plan? Oh, oh yeah, you know, uh, a, new, a new version of anti-crime. Why a new version? You already have men and women that were rerouted in the police department when de Blasio, your friend, your comrade, and the city council, many of them who are friends of yours and supporters of yours, decided to defund the police to the tune of a billion dollars, and they immediately dismantled the anti-crime unit. 
So some of them retired. Some of them had early retirement. But out of the 600, there are probably four, 450 of them still in service to the NYPD. Just bring them all together. Tell them, go back out. Do what you were doing before. It was not a problem. Dead people in the streets are a problem. Gang shooting uh, at one another and shooting innocent people. That is a problem. Utilize the talent that you already have within the police department. He said, no, no, no. No, no, no. I have a plan. Yeah, my don't know my. We're waiting for this plan. And then with Kathy Holcomb, remember they had that press conference at the Fulton Street Station, and they said cops are not going to do any interventions with the emotionally disturbed persons or the many homeless in the subways. No, no, no. They're just going to battle crime. I don't see them in the subways, by the way. And I certainly don't see them in trains walking from the rear car to the front car and doing active patrols on moving trains, which is a necessity. But, oh, no, we're going to wait for Kathy Holcomb to put together special teams of mental health care-related experts who are going to descend into the subways and are going to try to convince, get this, not forcibly remove, convince homeless and emotionally disturbed persons to come with them. You know what's going to happen if you don't forcibly remove them. I've dealt with them for years. They're just going to come back. So you put them in a shelter for a day or two. It's not like they're in lockup. They're going to leave. They're going to come back into the subways. And the emotionally disturbed, you'll take them for a psychiatric observation, uh, let's say in Kings County in Brooklyn, Elmhurst in Queens, Jacoby in the Bronx, Staten Island psychiatric uh, out in Staten Island, or Kings County in Brooklyn, Bellevue in Manhattan. And guess what? In a day or two, they'll be back out in the streets. And where are they going to go? They're going to go back on the subways. They're going to go to Penn Station. They're going to go to the Port Authority. They're going to go to Grand Central. They're going to be back out there. You must forcibly remove them, and especially when temperatures drop below freezing. You can do an executive order. Yes, you can, Eric Adams. It's been done by mayors before, Bloomberg and Giuliani before you, never de Blasio, in which uh, every agency in the city can remove homeless and emotionally disturbed persons from the subways because it is uh, a danger to themselves. They might perish or they may get seriously ill as a result of being exposed to weather that is below zero. Hey, it's Bernie and Sid in the morning. Alexa, enable the 77 WABC skill and listen worldwide to an American original. 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays and Listen to Rudy Giuliani every weekday at 3.55 p.m. for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Mayor's Final Thoughts. Rudy gives his insightful, most candid, and important final thought of the day on topics affecting our community, our nation, and you. The mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Mayor's Final Thoughts. Weekdays at 3.55 p.m. on 77 WABC. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Broken glass. 
everywhere. People pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise. Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Cause a man with the touch of repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breeze goes. Crazy lady, written in the bag, early '80s in the Bronx. Soon after I had started the Guardian Angels, February 13th of 1979, we're coming up to our 43rd anniversary. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five were telling it like it is. Best rap song that has ever been made because it was a critique of what was happening in our city, especially the Bronx in the 1980s. And if you looked at the Bronx in the last two weeks, Madonna, my, what a hot mess. Crime everywhere. Crime everywhere. So what was uh, Mayor Adams doing yesterday? Was he sitting down with the police in one police plaza? Uh, was he sitting with a task force? Was he sitting with all the white shirts saying, hey, look, guys, gals, we got to get out there. We got to start doing intervention, getting the guns off the street, proactive. We got to do stop and frisk. In fact, there are 15 of the most violent precincts in the Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, and Brooklyn. And, yeah, even northern Staten Island there. Park Hill, Stapleton, Jersey Street, West Brighton. I'll show you all the spots if you don't know where they are. And we got to do it now. We got to show people that we're doing something. Got to do it now. Can't talk about it. Can't have press conferences. Can't just attend vigils. Can't just be on national TV talking about coulda, woulda, shoulda, maybe, and then do this. This is the, the highlight of the day with all the Michigas and craziness going on in New York City to turn us into fear city from just a week ago where Eric Adams was saying, oh, crime is really down in the subways. It's a perception that you have. Two days later, 48 hours later, I'm afraid myself to go in the subway. But today, instead of blaming all of his cronies, his colleagues, his fellow Democrats for no bail, for defunding the police, For not prosecuting, especially in the DA offices in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Instead, he blames the federal government. Uh, My plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, Number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, The police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle. And the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. Did I hear him correctly? Our number one problem is the federal government. When all else fails, blame the federal government. But, hey, you think any reporters would say, excuse me, Mayor Adams, didn't you say you were the Biden in Brooklyn, right? Didn't you say, I'm Biden in Brooklyn? So you're really blaming the president, Vice President Harris, Gartland, the attorney general, head of the Department of Justice. You're blaming the FBI. You're blaming the DEA. You're blaming alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, right? You're blaming all those agencies. They are the reason that we're in the hot mess that we are in now, Fear City? Or maybe we need to look at ourselves. And all of your fellow Democrats, 
that you're constantly at press conferences with. When you stood at Harlem Hospital, there was a damn good thing for you to do. Stand there. And you put on your NYPD hat and your NYPD guard because you did serve for 22 years. You have the cred as a police officer. And you were next to your police commissioner, brand new. She's a new Jack, not ready for prime time, but she was there. And Patty Lynch, head of the PBA, and the other police benevolent association leaders, they were there. Well, you had Jumani Williams there, who hates cops, who wants to defund the police even more. Three billion they want to take out of the budget. Who wants to defund prisons and turn all the criminals loose? He was there. Smiling, nodding his head. You should have looked behind. Hey, Jumani, not the right time, not the right place. <laughs> you're, you're part of the reason that we're in this mess. Then the new lieutenant governor, that is pal, Governor Kathy Hokum chose Richardson from Harlem, who's also into defunding the police, defunding prisons. You should have very politely said, Lieutenant Governor Richardson, not the right time, not the right place for you here. You're part of the problem. And there were other elected officials there who were just there for the photo op. Part of the problem. Tish James, the state attorney general, what is she best known for? Prosecute Trump, 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 Trump family members, Trump businesses. When's the last time she actually prosecuted street thugs, street gang members? When is the last time you saw Tish James having a press conference in New York City saying, I'm going to do something about street crime? Mad on our mind. The only street she's interested in is Wall Street, and that's because her Trump building is right there at Wall Street. These fake, phony, fraudulent fagazis. And what did uh, Eric have? I'm going to bring them all together. We're going to put together a coalition. How do you have a coalition with your enemies who are doing everything they can to render the cops impotent, to turn the criminals loose, to hug the thugs, like like your friend Eric Gonzalez, the DA in Brooklyn, who on a first-time gun bus doesn't have them go to jail. They, they are sent to a diversion program. Take them on, Eric. Man up. And to your buddy, Alvin Bragg, you've yet to say anything negative about him. Police chief, police commissioner, you, you, you go say bad things about him. I'm not going to. He's my friend. Man up. Don't hide behind her skirt. And guess what? Today is hotel week. You get a 22% discount if you come to Fear City. And let me tell you, instead of them putting a little chocolate on your bed, you know, maybe with a little flour... Uh, they're going to leave for you wrapped very nicely uh, in a designer box a bulletproof body condom for your week visit in New York City. Welcome to Fear City. Who the hell is going to come here? Who the hell is going to come here? Oh, yeah, New York's the greatest city in the world. What kind of idiots say this? And it's like a knee-jerk reaction over and over. I hear it here, here at WABC, other talk radio stations, talk TV. I, I see people, oh, we'll come back. We've always come back. Yeah, you keep saying that, Butch, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You keep thinking that, Butch. You keep saying that, Butch. Oh, and it gets better. It just reminded me. Slowly I turn step by step. I remember it was July 12th of this summer. Eric Adams had finally won officially the ranked choice Democratic primary. Remember, there were three goals at it. Uh, He had finally beat uh, Maya Wiley uh, and then uh, the woman 
uh, Kathleen Garcia, uh, who are like neck and neck with him. So he was announced and anointed the winner fair and square. There was no chicanery. Uh, there was no double dealing in that Democratic primary. And he was immediately asked to come to Washington, D.C. Remember, the president, uh, Joe Biden, had a roundtable discussion about the growing issues of crime and gangs in urban areas in America. And he had invited many of the mayors and police commissioners, some of whom I knew personally, having dealt with them uh, as leader of the Guardian Angels, where we have groups in their city. He did not invite at that time still Andrew Evilize Cuomo, our governor. He did not invite Bill de Blasio. He did not invite the lapdog uh, for uh, Mayor de Blasio defunding a billion dollars from the police department, Dermot Shea. But it was a political favor to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. So he sat there with the other mayors and the other police commissioners. And then he came out at a huge press conference. And the question uh, from the crowd, from some of the New York uh, reporters was, you heard the president say to all the mayors and all the police commissioners and yourself representing New York City, that because of this growing crime plague, street violence, gun violence, gang violence, he would take a sizable amount of this stimulus bill money that was meant for COVID relief to deal with the pandemic and the lockdown, as long as the cities would promise to spend it to hire new police. Right? Very simple. Prior to that, Bill de Blasio had said, yet, no, the first time, went to sleep on it for about 18 hours in a drug-induced psychosis. When he reawoke sometime in the afternoon, he said no a second time. So I thought for sure Eric Adams would say, hell yeah, I'm going to take advantage Uh, of this great offer of President Joe Biden so that we can vet and hire a recruitment class and College Point, Queens, the brand-new training facility, and get them out into the streets before January 1st. They would have been out there already. What did Eric Adams say? Nope, not going to take the money until I reform the police department. Not going to take the money. When does the federal government offer you money? You know, oftentimes you have to beg for money. You have the schmuck, the punch, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer with hat in hand. Please give us some coin. You have to send lobbyists, trains of lobbyists, to beg, beseech the federal government to throw you some coin. In this case, President Joe Biden was doing the right thing, offering the cities in distress because of growing crime, growing violence, growing gangs, growing uh, gun menace problems. Money, as long as they would just use it to hire police. What did Eric Adams say? in coordination with his friend, his colleague for eight years, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we love, Bill de Blasio, he said no to the federal government. Hey, I warned you. Did I not warn you? And again, let's look at the analytics. Let's look at the track record. In the first three weeks of the Eric Adams administration, we've seen a lot of of nice, uh, fancy, custom-made suits. Every day, a different custom-made suit. My God, I mean, those suits are like thousands of dollars. You know, who got those suits? Frank Carone, his chief of staff, some of his other cronies that he's appointed there. How could he have afforded those tailor-made suits on a borough president's salary? Impossible. And you, you see the shoes he's wearing? Ferragamos. You know, what, you know how much Ferragamos cost? I mean, we're not talking four-shine jammies here. Ferragamos! Who bought him those Ferragamos? Frank Caron and company? Of course they did. Come on. It's time to get focused. Time is running out. 
The image of our city, it's Fear City. I appeared in that HBO special program, Fear City, along with Michael Mbaricic, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, we're starting to move back in that direction. And we're starting to free fall into the abyss El Rapido. Well, let's go to the phones, one 800 Let's go to Jason, who is calling uh, from where the hawk is talking in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Jason. Oh, hey, Curtis. How are you? Uh, now, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Jason. Hold on a second. I'm going to speak with our owner-operator, talk show host in his own right, John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, owners and operators of Red Apple Media, the parent company of WABC. And I'm going to ask them, uh, with your permission, I want to go up Route 17, short line bus. I want to go to the Irish Alps or the Jewish Himalayas, uh, Sullivan County, the Catskills. I want to see if they're the remnants of the Concord Hotel, Grossing Judge Browns, see if I can rent it out in the summer to do re-education for the callers to WABC. There are three things you don't do. You don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm just going to tell you I've had better days. You don't thank me for taking your call because what do you think I've been doing for the last hour? Soliciting you for calls. I should be thanking you and never use the euphemism. Hey, first time caller, long time listener. Oofa. Jason, Kabish. Kabish, Jason. Kabish. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Go ahead, Jason. All right. So, the, if there's any way to replace you with Eric Adams, like I, I don't know what's going on there. And Kathy Hokum, hundred percent. Like you nailed it with that. No, now, now, quite frankly, Jason, you know why she will not even uh, replace. It, it's like what is it like uh, uh, Cuomo two point here with three point oh? Yeah. I mean, we had the mobster dad. They named. They changed the name of the bridge, and then, the, you know, come on. Yeah, no, no. And think of this, Jason. Think of this. Uh, she knows she has the authority to replace Alvin Bragg just on a case-by-case basis. She doesn't even have to say, hey, you're fired. Just on a case-by-case. Yeah, she won't do that. And you know why? Because her complexion, wait a minute, her complexion, maybe? <laughs> her complexion is not her protection. She is a white woman, first governor of the state of New York, will not replace, even on a case-by-case basis, the first African-American to be duly elected, the Manhattan district attorney, in the largest district attorney uh, office in the country. She will not do that, Jason. Never. I mean, how would it help her? You know, okay. well, she's only right. She's, she's only she's in her time to like get ready to try and be governor again. Exactly. You know? And she wants to placate everybody. And you know what happens like Eric Adams when you try to placate everybody. You placate nobody. History is replete with examples that men and women, when they talk out of both sides of their mouth, when they try to appease everybody about the same issue, you can't do it. He had such a good start. Remember, he sat down at Brooklyn Borough President. He hadn't been sworn in yet as the mayor on January 1st, New Year's Eve. Uh, He sat down, remember, with Hawk Newsom, uh, head of Black Lives Matter. Remember, uh, Black Lives Matter filmed it. We all had a chance to see it. Eric Adams, uh, uh, Hawk Newsom threatened him. He said, look, you're not putting anti-crime back on or burn this city down. And the mayor manned up to Hawk Newsom and said, not my city. Hell no. You're not burning anything down. 
Wow, we said, wow, this is great, right? And then all of a sudden, Alvin Bragg came along. Everybody's condemning Alvin Bragg. Everybody. I'm sure even members of his own family are like, Alvin, are you sure? You know, we live in Harlem here. <laughs> you know, it's kind of rough. <laughs> he won't condemn Alvin Bragg. No, he's a good prosecutor. I agree with many of his principles. We'll meet, uh, we'll discuss whatever differences we have. Take them on, Eric Adams. Man up. Don't hide behind the skirt of your police commissioner, Sewell. It's not ready for prime time. She had to take him on. She had to send him a letter. She had to have to sit down with him. How about you? You're Lance Slice. I haven't seen you miss the photo up yet, and that's to your credit. You're like, bing, 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 ricochet rabbit all over the place, as opposed to Bill de Blasio, who would have been in a drug-induced psychosis, you know, walking around Greenwood Cemetery, talking to the mausoleums, talking to the gravesites, talking to himself. On that matter, you're busy, you're active. But you know what they say about people who are always busy? Sometimes busy people don't get anything done. Because they're always doing stuff, but nothing ever sticks. We got to see some examples. Got to see stop and frisk put back into effect. And in fact, it doesn't have to be citywide. You can do it in 15 of the most violent precincts in Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. I know which ones. I can tell you which ones. You got to put anti-crime back the way it was. Not with any reforms or, oh, they're going to wear a certain uniform. They're going to talk a certain way. No, 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 no. The men and women are still in the department. They were 600 strong. I'm sure some have retired, early retirement or normal retirement, or they've been recruited away by Nassau County, Suffolk County, Miami, uh, Jupiter, Delray. (laughs) I got to tell you, that's the other thing you don't realize. There are recruiters here in New York City. They're not here to recruit people for colleges. They're here to recruit the men and women of the New York City Police Department. They are leaving in droves. Look at Ballone. The county executive in Suffolk County, he recruited Rodney Harrison. It was like number two in the police department. He's now the police commissioner out there. And he said, hey, I got uh, 70 more slots to fill. You started 70000 a year with all the perks. The highest paid police position in America is in Suffolk County. Man, he filled those slots up right away with people leaving the NYPD. We got to get control now. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. You can't do what we call the double dutch. I beg, I beseech the mayor, because I really want to see him work out. I really want to see him, as he said, we got to save the city. Pick up the phone. It can be on the hush-hush, mush-mush, under the radar screen. Have your emissaries, some of whom supported you, were original supporters and members of Rudy Giuliani's staff. Have them negotiate the grounds for you to have a one-on-one conversation with Rudy and pick his brain and just say, Rudy, you know, I disagree with you on Trump, on Dominion, on Smartmatic. I disagree with what happened on January 6th. I just want to pick your brain. If you were in my position now, Rudy, what would you do? It's the one guy who's done it. Nobody can doubt that. He took a city. That had been run into the ground by David Dinkins, by the way, mentor to Eric Adams. He was asked in the debates, who would you role model your mayoralty after? Oh, David Dinkins. 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 unsolved shootings. Rudy gets involved, and immediately, after eight years, 
We are no longer the murder capital, the crime capital of America, but we're the safest big city in America. You think he knows a thing or two about how to do this? Eric, do it on the hush-hush-mush-mush, on the down low. You know what I'm talking about, the down low. Or do it through your emissaries. You don't have to talk directly to Rudy. You could have Phil Banks. Phil Banks knows Rudy. Hey, I'm no fan of Phil Banks. He's corrupt. But he knows police work. Have Phil Banks sit down with Rudy. Pick Rudy's brain. You don't have to do everything that Rudy suggests. But some of what he suggests will work because it already worked in 1993 at the start of his mayoralty. And remember, as soon as he was sworn in, remember when Andrew Giuliani was running all over the podium? You know, he was like, bing, bing, bouncing all over the place uh, like he was having a, a sugar rush. The moment that Rudy was sworn in, boom, he was immediately implementing policies. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was two days after Rudy was sworn in at City Hall. And I'm walking up Broadway at the time, and it was just, it was just filled with all kinds of miscreants, uh, all kinds of human flotsam and jetsam. And a guy simply took out his wanger, right? To relieve himself. Four cop cars surrounded the guy. They had their high beams on him. Put your hands up against the wall. It's Giuliani time. Okay, a little extreme, right? <laughs> a guy taking a whiz, all right? We don't need four cop cars, you know, all of a sudden putting the guy up against the wall with the high beamers on so everybody can see his schlong. I get that. Put a little bit of that, huh? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to April, uh, who's calling from Astoria. Well, I'll be there tomorrow night. I'll cue you up on that later on in this program. Uh, Your turn to be heard here at WABC, April. Hi. Good evening. Um, I heard you earlier talking about how to get, um, how to help to get the homeless off of the streets and out of the subway systems and get them help and, you know, protect them from themselves. That is what has to happen. Now, the thing is, You have so many, you know what needs to be done, but you also know how to do it. Now, I think would be a good idea if you had a column in a newspaper. I don't know which newspaper you would want to work with, but so that you could put all your ideas out once a week or once a day, but it's in black and white what you would do. And it would be called something like uh, Curtis Cures. And we have the, like, um, the, um, a silhouette of Manhattan skyline in black, and then the RX sign. And then nobody would be able to say that you were the one who found out the ways to get things done so that maybe Eric Adams can't steal your great ideas. Oh, no, no, April, first off, first off, let him steal my ideas. It's for the benefit of the city. But I like your idea. About a newspaper yeah, column. I like that. This is what I'm going to do because the Daily News won't do it. The New York Post won't do it. No. They're in bed with Eric Adams. You know, oh, obviously no. the New York Times won't do it. I'm going to talk to our boss, John Katzmatidis. Mm-hmm. He was offered one time to buy the Daily News because the Daily News now <laughs> is really in bad fiscal problems. Uh, these hedge fund monsters own it. They really, they've destroyed what was a really great newspaper. Uh, he was offered to buy it for a dollar. He said, no, I can't do that because I'm going to inherit pension responsibilities that, uh, that, that are just so overwhelming. I'm going to sit down with John Katzmatiz. I'm going to say, John, buy the Daily News. They offered it to you. 
You bought WABC. You saved us from the scrap heap. This station would have disappeared. Either that, April, mm. or I would have had to learn to speak Cantonese, Mandarin, or Yiddish. You know, some foreign language right. uh, consortium would have bought the big stick. Uh, I'm going to sit down and ask John Katsimatidis to revisit buying the Daily News, New York City's hometown newspaper that I used to deliver as a kid, in which I became the Daily Newspaper Boy of the Year, went to Washington, D.C. with Richard Nixon. I I remember. Do you remember? I do remember. But when you had the debate with Mr. Adams and you asked him, I don't know what's going on between you and him at that time. It's still the same. You said, I'll be willing to, you know, help you and give you ideas. And he just looked the other way. And I said, is he nuts? Yeah, in I fact, mean, April. Does he love the city or not? Yeah, April, the other day on New York One, I made that same offer. I said, and no strings attached. I don't want any money. I've been a volunteer for 43 years, leader of the Guardian Angels. I don't get any money. The Guardian Angels don't get any money. And I will lead you to all the locations that the homeless are, the emotionally disturbed. Because, April, I know many of them on a first-name basis. They'll listen to me, and I can convince them, hey, come on, come with me. Look, it's not going to hurt. This is going to help. Try it out. You might like it. You need somebody that they have a little bit of confidence in. Eric Adams is too busy. He can't be doing that as mayor of the city of New York. I thought that was, uh, you know, a simple thing. But, you know, I'm still waiting for the phone call from City Hall. No, it's horrible. It's horrible because old parents, every one of those homeless people are children. And they were babies at one time and little children and something went wrong. And if their parents aren't there anymore to help them, we're not being charitable to leave them alone. They're out of their minds and they can't control their environment. So they need to be taken in, whether it's zero degrees or not. Because if I was a parent and didn't know where my child was, and someone said, well, I saw, oh, yeah, your son was out there. It was really cold and he was walking near the train track or crossing through the traffic. And we took him off the street and rehabilitated him, gave him what he needed to be normal. I wouldn't say, oh, you took away his right, his First Amendment, Second or whatever right. They don't, they're not, they're not well. So their rights really should be like a four-year-old child roaming the street. And then later they'll thank you. They will thank you later. Thanks for helping me when I had no brain. No, you're absolutely you right. Think? And in fact, uh... Uh, and I'll say thanks for saving my child yeah. from getting killed. And look, we have seen Eric Adams at his public press conferences, at these vigils, saying it's going to take all of us. I can't just do it on my own. He's correct. Uh, I have offered my expertise. I have offered my assistance. More than that, I cannot do. I will continue to do all the things I've been doing over the years. But you would think, at least in this arena of dealing with the emotionally disturbed, of dealing right. with the homeless, which is something kind of, that I'm familiar with. On the subway. Right. You would at least, you would, have, uh, you would have an emissary of yours. If he doesn't want to deal with me directly, I get that. Should we write letters to him? You know where they, what they do with a letter at City Hall? And it's not just him. Any administration, they file it in the round filing cabinet. No. <laughs> the waste paper basket. They they lose your emails. They'll, they'll always say, oh, we, it must have gone into spam. You know, that's the other way of saying. No. We fight. Yeah, no. I made the offer on New York One. They all watch New York One. It's like their Bible at City Hall. Uh, I got no phone call. Uh, and I probably oh won't goodness. get a phone call because his ego uh, will not permit him to say the guy uh, that I beat that took me to task in both debates 
on things that I really didn't want him bringing to the surface because I had to just stand there like a sphinx. If you notice, there were some things I'd go at him and he just he just stared at the camera. He was like, you know, impervious to any human sentimentality. I could help, but I can't help if he is not going to give me permission to work with his agencies. I'll just have to continue to do it independently and autonomously with the Guardian Angels as I've been doing for years. As I said, April, when I conceded to him five minutes after the election, uh, I said to the reporters, you'll have me to kick around because I ain't going nowhere. Mm. And in fact, tomorrow, tomorrow, April, I will be in, in Astoria doing that. By the way, it is uh, amazing, a lot of people don't know this, that there are certain companies that have actually contributed money to a group that sued the MTA for removing homeless people and emotionally disturbed people from the subways. Uh, The 40-year-old woman uh, who was pushed in front of the train by the guy who claimed he was God, the emotionally disturbed guy, that was just a week ago. I actually spoke to him on two separate occasions. Once on the shuttle coming from Grand Central, where he was sane and lucid, and we had a conversation. Another time when he was acting out and uh, definitely showing uh, signs of a psychotic disorder on the Times Square platform of the 1, 2, and 3 train. Uh, the very agency she worked for had donated $50,000 to the group that sued the MTA for removing the homeless and emotionally disturbed. And there are company companies in a, in New York City that have shingles here that have donated to this same group that have sent wave after wave of lawyers into court threatening to sue the Department of Homeless Services, the City of New York Corporation Council, if they dare remove one homeless person or an emotionally disturbed persons who uh, have the right, they claim to wallow in their own urine and defecation, to babble incoherently, to have psychotic disorders on the subway, on the platforms, in the parks, in the streets, and there's nothing that the city should be able to do about it. Can you imagine that? Major corporations, the very corporation that had employed the 40-year-old Asian woman who was helping homeless people in her off hours, she was helping homeless people, like so many other New Yorkers do. But there are some of them who put average everyday citizens in peril. And we have to understand that. I understand it. I'm more than happy to help Eric Adams. I can put my humongous ego aside. I know many of you say, are you kidding? You need a crane to get your ego in and out of a broadcast studio each and every day. That's true. But I'll put it aside for the good of the group. Give you a quick uh, update. Last night, uh, Guardian Angels were at that vigil at the 32nd uh, Precinct in Harlem, for the two cops who were shot, the one killed, the one who was clinging on to life. Great turnout. Citizens, cops, uh, community folks. Tony Herbert had invited us to Guardian Angels. I couldn't go. I was broadcasting yesterday. I would have been there. The Guardian Angels showed up from Washington Heights. Uh, I asked him, uh, what did Eric Adams say to you guys? He snubbed us. Now he's a busy guy, okay? Uh, but it's, man... You can't miss the Guardian Angels in a crowd. We're like uh, cherubs with the red berets and the red sateen jackets. Knock it off, Eric. 
You need to reach out to anybody who has any capability of helping this city that is in peril. This is fear city. Nobody's going to come here. Nobody's going to come back to work. You're not going to be able to raise the taxes. Then you're going to have to defund all agencies, including more defunding of the police that you've already threatened to do by removing 3% of their budget. Let's see if he responds. Uh, my plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, the police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle and the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. God, it was so nice, right, Tarek Adams, these last few minutes. I can't, I can't accept that. The number one problem is the federal government and the pipeline of illegal guns that come into the city. Hey, what do you think? I'm a schmuck, a putz, a schmendrick, a pisher? There's two million illegal guns already here. And they're in the hands mostly of law-abiding men and women who have it on their premises, in their domicile, have it at their place of business, because they'll never, ever be able to qualify in the draconian measures that you have to go through in order to get a permit to have a gun on your premises, or God forbid, the platinum permit to carry a gun. Oh, that only goes to the few. You got to be wealthy, you got to be well healed. And as Phil Banks, now deputy mayor of public safety, can tell you, since he was right in the middle of that Michigash, the investigation into all the white shirts, that's right, in the police department, white shirts, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male or female, they have white shirt immunity. They were selling gun permits, selling them. Reichnitz and Reichberg, who were illegally funding Bill de Blasio's nonprofits. One pled guilty, the other became a rat, uh, confidential informer, testified against de Blasio, testified against other crooked officials. And here it was, Phil Banks, who really is running the police department now, and to his credit, he knows how to run the police department, but he's just crooked. Uh, (laughs) The next day, he resigned from the top position in the police department because... He had heard that a a judge had signed a warrant that they were going to wire up his cell phones like a a Christmas tree, including the Motorola Boost phones that he had. Yeah, 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 Phil, I knew you had some Motorola Boost phones. Not because you were up to uh, criminal activity on that, but for your gumadas, right? Like a lot of guys do. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Diane, where the hawk is talking, out in Yorktown Heights. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diane. Hey, Curtis, it's really great to hear your voice, and I have a suggestion for you. Ah. Why not repurpose Rikers Island? Instead of spending millions of dollars uh, making barricades to prevent people from being pushed into the subway, why not make a haven for people who are... um, well, homeless hmm. and schizophrenic and people that with professionals, well-paid professionals who can 
take care of them and set them straight. I think that um, New York City needs a haven for these people. And uh, if professionals can take care of them. All right. Well, let me, Diane, let me bifurcate that because you mentioned uh, the subway platform barriers. Oh, it's crazy to spend money on that. First of all, where they exist, and I've seen them. By the way, in Montreal, if you've ever taken the subway system in Montreal, it's magnifique. The trains, the subways have rubber wheels, so you never hear any screeching. Stained glass windows, classical music in the subway stations as you are awaiting the arrival of your train. And they have in some of the stops, they have those subway platform barriers, not because people get pushed in front of trains, but some people commit suicide. They jump, believe it or not, I saw this. Uh, in London where they have some of these subway platform barriers, what they'll do is they'll sit at the edge, these these tortured souls, they'll sit at the edge of the platform. I don't know why they do this. Maybe somebody out there knows. They take their shoes off first. They put it on the platform. They then sit down on the platform. Their legs swing over the platform. They wait. Hey, Curtis. Yes. I, I saw that happen. Yeah. I saw it happen. I was an intern at Lenox Hill Hospital, and wow, long time ago, I guess it was 1972. A poor guy, he was just drunk as could be, and he was at that 77th Street station, and we get the call. And we, I was in the emergency room, and so I went with the crew, and sure enough, this guy had was absolutely drunk. And he was sitting just, as you said, on the edge of the, uh, the platform there. Train came in. He lost uh, a foot and a hand. Yeah. We followed him up in the intensive care unit. Now, 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 figure that. And I'm trying to piece it together because I've talked with my guardian angels in Tokyo. They have some of those barriers, those subway platform barriers, again, to prevent suicide. But they all it doesn't matter where they come from in the world. They'll sit right towards the middle of the platform. They'll take their shoes off, their legs dangle over the platform. Now, the motorman can't really see them. If they were standing up, it would be easier for the motorman driving the train in. But when you're sitting over, you can barely see them, and then they'll leap right before the train arrives. It is one of the most excruciating, horrible ways that you could ever die. But that shows you how tortured these souls are. But that's why these other countries have subway platform barriers in their uh, subways limited. Paris, Montreal, London, Tokyo. They don't have people pushing people into the trains, Diane. Yeah. Listen, have you seen the subways in Russia, by the way, in yes. Moscow? Yes. Oh, <laughs> first of all, no. the cars are very old, but they're preserved. Uh, the Moscow subway in center to the center part near Red Square, you have to go down three escalators. It's so deep. The the platforms are meticulously clean. Women with babushkas on their head are constantly cleaning it. They have a Timex a clock on the wall uh, to let you know when the, the, the trains are expected. And normally they're within a tenth of a second. And every station is a museum. It's like the Museum of Natural History. That's right. Chandeliers, crystal chandeliers, hands from the ceiling. 
pretty amazing. Yeah, and notice statues. Naturally, it's all about, uh, you know, the revolution, workers of the world unite, you know, the old Soviet communist propaganda. But the art is on every station, Diane. It is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, if only New York could, well, clean up their subways a bit. It would be nice. <laughs> well, well I, I will tell you one, anyway, one, I, one story. I love the idea, April's idea, Curtis Cures. Yes, Curtis and, Cures. Uh, oh, I have another idea for you, too. Why not set up um, stations at the entrance to the George Washington Bridge and the tunnels and pick off these people who are bringing illegal uh, guns, carloads of illegal guns. Well, Diane, uh, they did that at the Port Authority for a while. The cops were very good, the Port Authority cops. And then they were accused of profiling because guys would go there with athletic bags filled with 9-millimeter, a 9-millimeter, and a bag full of crack. And they would take it down to um, uh, the Beltway between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., where they get four times the value for the crack cocaine. And the cops were making bust after bust, and then the civil libertarians came in and said, you're profiling, and they stopped it. They stopped it. Although it's interesting, when I was in the Moscow subway, we were trying to organize the Guardian Angels back when Boris <laughs> Yeltsin uh, was the leader, a lush, totally drunk, had just taken over for Gorbachev. Unfortunately, his prime minister was Vladimir Putin. But it was wide open at that time, Moscow. So I was invited by Leshkov, who was the mayor of Moscow, to come and make a presentation. They had called and said, can you come? I had Guardian Angels in Berlin at the time. Yeah. So we took the train from Berlin all the way to Moscow. And then right before, when we went through eastern Poland, uh, the grading, uh, the tracks are at a different level because the Russians always realized that any foreign invaders, uh, they could run railway trains just like the Nazis did all the way to uh, Moscow. They changed it. So at Belarus, which is like back in the 50s, it's a horror. They lift the train from one grading to another grading with hand jacks. Takes hours for them to do it, and then you're on your way. You look at the dachas, people building uh, homes in the middle of nowhere in Russia, uh, next to the uh, serfs, the indentured servants and such. And I was there to organize guardian angels. So there's a guy downstairs, and he's bothering women. He's drunk. So I had guardian angels from Berlin with me. We wrestled them down. We took them down on the platform. Uh, all of a sudden, a cop came from upstairs. Uh, the cops said something in Russian. I didn't understand, but some of the uh, guardian angels from Berlin had grown up in East Berlin, so they understood Russian. He takes the guy upstairs to his little office and then grabs a truncheon out, a blackjack, and beats the living daylights out of the guy. Didn't put him in the jail cell. Beat him so bad the guy was crawling out of the police station, the mini police station. Uh, that was justice, Moscow style. Wow. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the purpose of this show is this is a stream of consciousness, ladies and gentlemen. I'm interacting with all of you. I don't want the same old, same old callers. Uh, I can tell because I have a good ear for this. I listen to other talk radio programs here at WABC. I hear the same old callers. No, no, no. I don't go there. I want fresh. Technically, about 1% of talk radio listeners will call 
a talk radio station in their lifetime. But to have a stream of consciousness, you need people with different thoughts and ideas to share experiences. Like we just heard the woman who had seen exactly what I've seen in the years in the subways. Jumpers, they call it. How men or women just just terrorized by whatever is going wrong internally will jump in front of a moving train. And I described what I saw, and she had seen it also. Now, would she have normally called? Probably not. That's what makes this show so different than the other shows here at WABC. It's part of what I do on the weekends with WABC. The acronym means always broadcasting, Curtis. I average about 20 hours on the weekend, and then the best hour is the last hour from 12 to 1 coming up where we discuss all kinds of animal issues. It is the highest-rated hour of the many hours that I do here, and it's all about pets, dogs, cats, other animal issues. Uh, And I do it with my wife, uh, Nancy, who is an animal rescuer. And then at 1 o'clock, i got to pass off the microphone to that uh, Mangaluch, Frank Morano who will come in and probably moan and groan about all the people who complained about him on the various Curtis Slewa shows over the weekend. one 800 Let's go to John, who's calling from Staten Island, where the hawk is talking right here on WABC. Johnny. Hey, Curtis. Uh, the way Eric Adams explained that, he was saying that the gun dealers had a problem. So my suggestion to Eric Adams is, the people who buy the guns, it's like drug dealers. They get mules. They'll find somebody with a brand-new license, buy two guns. Somebody else will get another two guns off. Somebody else has a clean record. That goes to a gun runner. Forget about the gun dealer. The gun runner brings it up here and sells it to the criminals. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the percentage of the gun runners getting let go after they sell four guns to the criminals around here? And they get the same treatment with the, the no-cash bail and walk away. Those are the people you go for, the gun runners, not the gun dealers. The gun dealers are just doing what's on the books of federal law. John, that is very cogent of you. You understand from a street smart point of view what goes on. Let's say they did it in the most populous borough, Brooklyn, Kings County. It's about two and a half million people there. If it's a first-time drug bust, a felony, Eric Gonzalez, the D.A., will not look to get any time on you in front of a judge. He'll actually put you in a diversion program. First-time gun busts. Diversionary program. It used to be you were caught with a gun, loaded or not loaded. One year mandatory in jail. Not in Brooklyn with Eric Gonzalez. Certainly not with Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan DA. He said he won't seek prison sentences for gun possessions at all, even for adults. If Eric Adams does not take on these DAs, his friends, and man up, the cops could knock themselves out. You could have anti-crime out there. You could have gun interventions. You could have stop and frisk. But if his friends in the DA's offices... In Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Queens, are not going to enforce the laws. There aren't enough U.S. attorneys in the U.S. attorney's offices in the Southern District or Eastern District that can take on those cases as they're now doing in Philadelphia, where the DA has proven he's the number one friend of the drug and gun thuggers who uh, are causing that city to have more murders than they've ever had since 1960. 
because of a DA who was reelected there with Soros money. Reelected there. And if Alvin Bragg ran tomorrow in Manhattan, he would be reelected unanimously by Democrats who voted for him in the primary, who the New York Times endorsed. And you know, if you live in Manhattan, if the New York Times endorsed you, oh, that's like as if God, you know, gave you permission to be the DA. He would be elected, reelected overwhelmingly. It's what Manhattan wants. They got. What he said, he didn't lie to the electorate. He said he would hug the thugs, he would turn them loose, and Manhattan elected Alvin Bragg, D.A., and if the election were held tomorrow, they would do so in a landslide. That's why so many people are escaping New York, and they're not coming back. So, Eric Adams, your biggest battle is with your buddies, especially Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn, who has a diversion program for gun toters. They don't go to jail. And Alvin Bragg, who won't seek prison sentences for gun possessions at all, even for adults. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This morning, I was listening to the Cats Roundtable discussion in which, yes, the uh, Mameluke, uh, Frank uh, Morano, contributed along with other uh, contributors. And they were on one subject and one subject alone for the full half hour that went longer than a full half hour. And it was all about the crime in New York City that has impaired us. Whether it was John Katsimatidis, Frank Morano, and the other contributors... They could not get off of this subject. It is so critical at this moment that we're going to continue to talk about this. Continue to talk about this because, hey, look, this is my sweet spot. This is what I've done for 43 years here and all over the world. If I don't know how to deal with this, then I can't believe that there are other people out there who have a complete answer. I don't have all the answers, but I certainly have some of the answers, and I certainly have the experiences that can back up what I have resolved to be the route that you have to take to get this city back on track, especially when it comes to the emotionally disturbed, the homeless, and the drug thugs out there. Let's go to Mark in Bayside, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Hey, Curtis, uh, this is the first time we've spoken, and I'm a huge supporter of yours, 65 years old, born and raised in the Bronx, living in Queens for the last 30 years. Just want to say my wife and I bought a condo in Suffolk. We are closing in April, and I can't wait to get out of the city. But that's not the reason I called. The main reason I called is about the EDPs. It was many years ago when they started releasing all these people from these institutions. They no longer wanted to take care of them. They put them all out on the street. And this is what we're dealing with. So even if you get them off the street for a day or two, without any facilities for them to get real, meaningful, long-term treatment, it's just going to keep us a vicious cycle. It's never going to stop. Well, Mark, you see, that's the part of the equation that most people don't know, and they don't want you to know it at a city level or a state level. There are many empty beds. If you go to the state facility Creedmoor in northern Queens, There are whole wards, floor after floor, empty. If you go to Kirby Psychiatric on Randall's Island, some of you are driving by it as we speak on the Triborough Bridge, whether you're going to Queens or you're coming from Queens, going to the Bronx or Manhattan. You see that huge white edifice 
that used to be in the opening credits of the Dr. Ben Casey show. Yeah, that was it. Kirby Psychiatric. Only 30% occupied. Governor Kathy Holcomb can make that space available. Then the municipal hospitals, there are beds uh, in Jacoby for psychiatric care. There are beds in Elmhurst. There are beds in Kings County. Staten Island Psychiatric State Facility out there. Obviously, Bellevue. There are some beds. But when the lockdown and the pandemic came in 2020, all the hospitals, even some of the private hospitals that accept Medicaid and have some beds put aside for psychiatric patients, like Maimonides. I know when I used to visit my dad in Maimonides, one time he got up in the middle of the night they had some, two Russian uh, nurse guys come in there. I said, don't have the Russian guys go in the nurses. He's going to have a flashback to WW2. He did. He knocked them both out. And they put him back in the psychiatric ward of Maimonides. These are places in private hospitals that are out of sight, out of mind. I had to go in there. I had to talk to my pop, say, hey, Dad, knock it off. Just, just regale people in stories here. Uh, make them like you, and they'll release you. Because... You're now a ward of the state. I can't do anything. If you don't behave and make nice and stop calling these nut jobs in here that are sharing rooms with you, you'll never leave here, Maimonides. And so all of a sudden he played ball. And they called me up two days later, said, hey, you know, we're checking your dad out of here, Maimonides, the psychiatric wing, which is separate from the main medical wing, and he's going back to the medical wing to deal with his treatment. And I said, please, you're not going to assign any male nurses from Russia to my father because he's going to have flashbacks to World War II where he thinks it's Joe Stalin all over and the communists are going to be coming to America. Okay, we got that? Yeah, yeah. Kabish, kabish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He understood that. Unbelievable. In the next hour, though, we're going to talk about some other remedies and again, I got to continue to give constructive criticism to our new mayor, Eric Adams, who today with the bully pulpit, national TV interviews on CNN and Good Morning America, blame the federal government for our problems, not our local Democratic officials uh, who push through no cash bail. Hey, how's that worked out? Not our local Democratic officials and the former mayor, a buddy of Eric Adams, who defunded the police by a billion dollars. Hey, how did that work out? Not the buddies of Eric Adams, Eric Gonzalez, uh, the district attorney of Kings County, and the brand-new Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg, who want to hug the thugs and turn them loose. Yeah, see, Eric, Ad- Eric Gonzalez doesn't get any criticism. He's in Brooklyn, but he has a diversion program. You get busted with a gun, loaded or unloaded. First time, you don't go to jail. You go to a diversion program. And Alvin Bragg, he's not going to seek prison sentences for gun possession at all, even for adults. The mayor has got to man up. He can't hide behind his new police commissioner, who then all of a sudden gets adversarial with Alvin Bragg. He's got a man up and say, Alvin, we can't let this go on in Manhattan. The epicenter of the criminal justice system in New York City, the largest district attorney's office in America, the most prestigious. If you do this, the city will continue to sink into the abyss. And it's, you got to throw down with Alvin Bragg. Eric, are you willing to do that? Not so far. 
Barney and Sid in the morning. Alexa, enable the 77 WABC skill and listen worldwide to an American original. 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays and WABC. Now, a better way to start your day. The WABC Early News. Weekdays at 5 a.m. We've got an hour built just for you. An hour of news. Traffic on the 7s. Sports at 15 and 45. Business reports. Weather. And the newsmakers. The information you need to start your day. From the station you trust. The WABC Early News. 5 a.m. weekday mornings on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Stand, there's a cross for you to bear. Things to go through if you're going anywhere. We got to stand up for the NYPD, ladies and gentlemen, who are under attack, under siege. Five cops shot in the first three weeks of the Eric Adams administration. Unfortunately, one dead. That's uh, police officer Rivera, who uh, had signed up uh, in 2020, married with one child. Pat Lynch, the PBA president, has urged all New Yorkers and those in the tri-state area to come out to St. Patrick's Cathedral this Thursday. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine, they will have a wake from 1 in the afternoon to 8 p.m. I suggest that everybody show up who can. I'll be there with the Guardian Angels. Uh, This is definitely an opportunity to show Black Lives Matter and Antifa, who are rioting uh, and shooting and looting in the summer of 2020, that there is still respect for the police. Clearly, when the police have stepped out of line, they need to be disciplined. They need to be called out. In this particular case, this LaShawn McNeil is a killing machine. He killed one cop. The other cop is uh, on a form of life support. He had a second operation. A bullet is lodged in his head uh, at Harlem Hospital. More. Uh, he was transferred to NYU Langone. Uh, prospects uh, are like 50-50 in terms of his recovery. And isn't this ironic that LaShawn McNeil, who was shot in his head and his arm by the third police officer, is alive and well and recovering in Harlem Hospital. Which means that even in the land of Alvin Bragg, he will be prosecuted since it's Manhattan. 
And it will cost us, on average, $500,000 a year to give him three hots in a cot, free optical, free dental, free trips to the law library, sit-downs with legal aid, which will provide him uh, his attorneys, as they look for every nuance, every technicality in the law to try to get a mistrial or a retrial called, or maybe get him uh, on a... uh, EDP charge. You know what an EDP charge is? That he's, he cops a plea, he says he's criminally insane. And that eventually, if a shrink or two decide that he has recovered after spending years in jail, there's the potentiality he could be cut loose. Not likely. He could live the rest of his life in a psychiatric facility. There still are a few left throughout New York State. But that's the likelihood of what's going to happen to LaShawn McNeil who, believe it or not, was having an argument with his mother at her apartment at 135th Street over the content of his vegan meal. This is what led up to the 911 call. If you listen to the 911 call, the mother is cool, calm, and collected. She's called on him before in August when he first arrived. She summoned him from Maryland where he was living. Uh, She was having some coronary issues. She had a stent put in. She said, I need your help. Uh, to care for your younger brother who is disabled. And so LaShawn McNeil came. She warned him in advance, don't bring your toolies, don't bring your guns. Obviously, he did. It was a gun that had been stolen in uh, some kind of home invasion uh, or business invasion, I'm not quite sure, in 2017. And out of all of that, Eric Adams has decided not to uh, tackle All of the enemies of public safety and the police that are his friends in government. You know, time to take a stand, like Sly and the Family Stone said. But he's decided to blame, first and foremost, the federal government. Uh, My plan to deal with the underlying reasons uh, that we're facing such a surge of violence in our cities and cities across America. Uh, Number one, the role of the federal government. Uh, the police department is doing their job, taking thousands of guns off the streets. Yet each time you take a gun off, there's a constant flow of new guns coming here. And if we don't coordinate to go after those gun dealers uh, that are supplying the large cities in America, such as New York, uh, we are losing the battle. And the federal government must step, step in and play a role in doing so. Get out of here. What are you talking about, Eric Adams? You know better than most. There are already 2 million illegal handguns in circulation in New York City. Most of them owned by law-abiding citizens who keep it on their premises, their business, their home, their domicile. Uh, They would never be able to qualify for a permit, the draconian measures that you have to uh, qualify with in order to get a uh, premise license. Uh, and actually, a carry license is got, you got to have a platinum card. You got to bribe your way to get uh, a carry permit. You know, the Supreme Court is soon going to uh, decide on a case that involves people with carry permits in New York. Uh, <clears throat> New York is going to be faced with the prospect of people being allowed uh, in much more numbers, especially visiting here, to be able to carry while they're visiting here to Fear City. The mayor has finally capitulated, and unlike his arrogance of a week ago, in the aftermath of the 40-year-old Asian woman who was pushed in front of the tracks by a guy who was babbling to himself mentally ill, I'm God, I'm God. 
with a 363% increase in attacks on Asians in this last year alone. The mayor had the chutzpah, the huevos, the culions to say, oh, it's a perception that people have that crime is up in the subways. And oh boy, did he get blowback, even from his strongest supporters. And within 48 hours, Eric Adams had an epiphany. He was suddenly the rough and tough, macho, maniacal mayor saying, even I'm afraid to go on the subways. How did somebody change that dramatically and drastically within 48 hours? Unless they're a manic and a depressive, right? I mean, we've seen that before. Do I need to go through the litany of elected officials that we've seen manic one moment and depressed the next? And now he's blaming the federal government. Of all the things to blame, Blame the DAs, who are your friends, Eric Gonzalez, who has a diversion program. First time gun bust, you don't go to jail. Used to be, you get caught with a gun, one year mandatory in jail. Not in Brooklyn. You get sent to a diversion program. You show up once a week for counseling. They give you cookies and milk, and they say, be nice. Go back out there. Be nice. Don't carry a toolie. Don't carry a gun. Please, pretty please. With cherries on top, please, don't carry a gun. Okay, okay. And next week when I come, uh, can I have a banana barge, you know, from Carbo? Absolutely, anything you want. This is a diversionary program. Whatever way we could bribe you not to carry a weapon, we'll do it. And then Alvin Bragg, his newfound friend, Eric Adams, the Manhattan DA who wants to hug dogs and turn them loose. He won't seek prison sentences for gun possessions at all, even for adults. That's the main impediment. And then all the Democrats who went for no cash bail. Hey, how'd that work out? All the Democrats, along with Mayor de Blasio and city council, who defunded the police by a billion dollars. How did that work out? You think the enemy lurks internally within us in our own political structure, and we ought not be blaming the federal government? Anyway, let's go to Karen, who's calling from Havistraw. Uh, where the hawk is talking, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hello. Uh, I spoke to you last week. Remember, I'm the one that talked to you about the uh, nooks and crannies and the English muffins. Oh, yes, I love that. <laughs> that Thomas's English muffins, <laughs> as opposed to the generic English muffins we had at Builder C. Junior High School in the cafeteria. Oh, crappy bagels. Right on Friday. <laughs> it was pizza day. Remember, you'd have the generic uh, English muffin with a slice of government brick cheese on it with ketchup on it, and they'd microwave it, and they'd tell you that was pizza. <laughs> Uh, I went to a church saying uh, this sermon was about resetting direction, and maybe uh, the Manhattan Democrats need to uh, the Manhattan Democrats need to uh, focus on that a little bit because I cannot understand. I mean, I listened to the debate of these uh, attorney, you know, the DAs, and when I heard Brig, I said, "There's no way I would vote for him." I don't live in the city, but I there's no way I would vote for him. And then I was amazed that he won the. Uh, you know, the DA ship. I couldn't believe it. I said, what's wrong with people? They, they want to see murder and crime? Karen, uh, you know, I hate to bust everybody's bubble, but he debated here. His first debate was here at WABC with the seven other Democrats who he was running against. I know, Dominic Carter, I remember. Right. The first three finishers in the Democratic primary, the second place finisher was Weinstein, the third, Abushi. They got 76% of the combined Democratic vote. All of them shared the same policy of hugging thugs and turning them loose. 
76% of the Democrats, the New York Times anointed him as the Mashiach of, of criminal justice. Now, today, right, today, it was a big day in Manhattan. I live in Manhattan with my wife, and I get the hard copies of the newspaper. I get the Daily News, the Post, I get Newsday, and I get the New York Times, which will give you a double hernia. The biggest line is all the old altacacas for the New York Times. They sit around the table all Sunday. You know, they're having their little coffee, their little demitasse, you know, their little espresso. And they're reading the letters to the editor and arguing over the letters to the editor. And I am telling you, this New York Times crowd in Manhattan, if an election were held tomorrow, they would reelect Alvin Bragg overwhelmingly. They believe in this nonsense. I can't believe it. Yep. I have a I have a good FM phrase for you, uh, fanatical madness. Ooh, I like that. So in addition, <laughs> I have often said that when you listen to AM radio, it's active-minded, as you are, Karen. But if you happen to flip the script and go on the FM side of the dial, you're a freaking oh, yeah. moron, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, uh, free marijuana, and Frank Morano, and now you have a new one? What is that? Uh, um... Fanatical Madness. Fanatical Madness. I like that. Next to Frank Morano, who joins us at 1 (laughs) o'clock. Look at all the acronyms for FM, right? I have a lot of them. Famous mustaches, famous movies, uh, uh, flavorful M&Ms. Look at a lot of them. (laughs) Oh, think of the M&Ms. Did you see the dancing M&Ms? And Tucker Carlson went nuts on Fox News Channel. What? Not wearing sneakers? What the hell was that about? Out of all the things you could be riffing about, M&M's, you know, the dancing M&M's, right? Not wearing sneakers. What, what the hell was he? What was he? I said, look, Tucker Carlson. I know Tucker Carlson, okay? He's a thespian. I, I, I substituted him for a week at MSNBC when he was a liberal and said to me, Curtis, don't alienate my audience, you know, when I come back. And the first interview I had there while substituting for him at night was with Rachel Maddow, who wasn't with MSNBC yet. She was with Air America, the liberal radio uh, network that failed. That was like mixing ammonia and bleach. I don't think Tucker Carlson, wearing a bow tie at that time, was at all pleased with me. But he was a liberal back then. Then he has an opportunity of a lifetime, the real estate left behind by Bill O'Reilly because of his problems. And he's now a raving conservative. Which Tucker Carlson is he? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe anything I watch on talk TV because they could just as soon be fired at the place that they're broadcasting from, where they're a conservative or a liberal, and have a deathbed conversion. But when it comes to talk radio, it's not scripted. It's improv. You listen long enough, you'll know if that talk radio show host or hostess is real or if they're just repeating what everybody else has said in the business. Ah, you know know what I'm talking about, huh? Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Giuseppe. Uh, Where the hawk is talking up in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Uh, yeah, really briefly, with regard to crime and what drives it, you know, <clears throat> I have to disagree strongly with Mayor Adams when he said that, you know, basically it's illegal guns that are driving the crime. Now, that being said, I want to point your direction uh, to a brilliant article at UNZ.com. 
It's by an author named Pedro Almoravo. God, so wonky. I mean, that's what you do at NPR, right, WNYC. Believe it or not, I actually worked here at WNYC for seven months. Maybe, no, one of the most miserable experiences of my life. You know, that's exactly the kind of caller that would call Brian Lair at WNYC. You know, oh, you know, I was reading an article the other night. You know, two people read the article, and all of a sudden, they refer an article to you. Uh, the host has you repeated like three times. I don't care what an article says. I care what you believe, what you feel. You're more important than any articles. If I want the article, I'll read the article for myself. And by the way, a lot of those articles are nonsense. That's not what talk radio. Oh, I read an article. Yeah, what article? And what periodical? Then you're scratching your belly. You're trying to remember where you read it, who the author was. Oh, you're saying, oh, yeah. It was like it was like uh, the Ten Commandments. That's how good it was. No, it's not. Anyway, let's go to Mike. Uh, your turn to be heard where the hawk is talking out of Bayshore. Hey, my, uh, Curtis, how are you doing? Oh, my, my, my. You know, it, this is the legacy of Frank Morano, who will be coming on at one. Sid Rosenberg in the morning, who will be joined by his partner, Bernard McGurk, who is recovering from stage four prostate cancer. I know I had the same thing. So it's a long haul, but he, he's going to come through. Uh, Greg Machine Gun Kelly, I love his show. Two hours, you know, one to three. It's great. It's great. He's got attention deficit disorder. It's theater of the mind at times. But he, too, does this. Uh, Bo Snurdly does this. They all do this. Person calls up. Hey, how you doing? Mike, every time you ask how I'm doing, I'm going to say I've had better days. Kambish, Kambish, Mike, Kambish, huh? I'm I just have to be polite and say hello. Then limit it to hello, huh? All right. No, that's not it. I'm going to say, so you, you grew up in Canarsie, right? Hey, you going to give me a hard time over this, Mike? What does Canarsie have to do with this, huh, Mike? I, I'm starting out fresh. All right, let's go right into the good stuff. Uh, I want to start how the progressives started. You know, I, I worked in a school for 30 years in Queens as a dean, and in the last five years, there was no more suspensions. Kids were throwing things at teachers. They were coming in with knives and weapons, and, and now it led to the adults. It's basically transformed from the schools, which are still the same, and now now it's going this way. Mike, uh, you're taking me on the time machine now. When you first became a dean in the public school system yeah. uh, of the old Board yeah. of Education yeah. of the City of New York, uh, what were your right. responsibilities? What did you have to do, and how did you do it? I you know I did a lot of investigations. If the kids had a fight, who who started it? If someone brought in a weapon, if uh, we had to do some type of uh, mediation between the parents. And, you know, principal, I worked with a number of principals, and the principals suspended, I'm going to be honest, 30, 40 kids a year. By, by the last few years, maybe one, maybe one or two kids were getting suspended. And, and for, for pretty serious offenses, whether they hit a teacher whether they, I said, had a had a, a a BB gun or a knife in their book bag, you know, and, and that that's where it started a few years ago. Now, Mike, and now, now, 
Mike, when the teachers would get together in their room where they would assemble, their lounge, I guess they call it a teacher's lounge. Yeah, unfortunately we didn't have a lounge, but yeah, go ahead. Where did they assemble the teachers? They assembled uh, on the lunch break in their own rooms. Oh, okay. All right. But they would communicate, and when they needed an enforcement issue done, would they appeal to you, the dean, or the gym teacher? (laughs) I used to be a gym teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm I'm talking about, Mike. (laughs) They they would appeal to the UFT person, and then, you know, everything would go on deaf ears. Now, now, Mike, where did you go to high school in New York City? South Shore. Okay, South Shore. Come on, see. All right. I went and to Build the Sea. I went to Build the Sea Junior High School, and it was uh, in the '60s. And was I remember yep. a lot of tough guys want to be tough guys. Went oh, on yeah. to become oh, yeah. crazed killers. In fact, they will be featured on a show. I will be featured on ABC TV this coming Thursday night. I believe it's from 8 to 10. It's two hours about the Gambino crime family, my enemies, and friends of Frank Morano who attended his wedding. You could yeah. have imagined what that was like. They were on one side. I was on the other. But, well, I digress. But what happened I, was I know. Yep. there was a guy named Crazy Vinny, Sal. terrorist Crazy Sal. in Builder C Junior High School. So the teachers in their teacher's lounge would tell uh, the male uh, gym teacher, straighten uh-huh. this guy out. So we're all sitting there in gym, and, you know, the first thing, the most humiliating thing is the gym teacher tells us to climb the rope, and none of us could climb the rope. It was very emasculating, very emasculating. And then he says, hey, Vinny, come here. Climb the rope. And Vinny tries to climb the rope, and he can't. He said, hey, I understand you were giving Mrs. Rosen a hard time today. No, no, I wasn't. I was Yes, you were. Boom, smacks him in the head. Get down on the uh-huh. ground. Kicks his ass. Get into my office, crawl underneath my desk, and I'll deal with you when the bell rings. Right. Now, yep. what would happen now if the gym teacher Today? did that, the enforcer? Oh, so they used to have the rubber room. You'd be in there. But now, I don't You'd probably just get fired on the spot. <laughs> I mean, just, imagine anything like that. But Mike, it worked. School- it, it worked. The toughest of the tough guys were like little nebbishy, schlubby guys after that. You had a little fear in the teachers. Now, forget it, no fear. And now everyone was carrying cameras. It's a whole, a well, whole new ballgame. Remember, uh, Mike, back in the 60s, the gym teachers were not Mensa. They were muscle heads. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the 70s there. Yeah, yeah all right. You, know, you, had, you, you had a little right. bit of smarts, but you also had muscle, right? Uh, no, not, no, not until I got to high school. Yeah, okay. But they had crazy, crazy high school teachers. So you didn't go to South Shore, did you? No, 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 no. I went to Brooklyn Prep. The Jesuits said they shined their boots on my backside in my senior year, kicked me to the curb. I never looked back. Just started pumping gas, packing shelves. And you know the rest of that story. My calling, the Golden Arches in the Bronx, Mickey D's, where I started the Guardian Angels in 1979. Yeah, I love you for that. Keep it going. Now, now, Mike, Mike, what, uh, what high school did you teach at? Uh, I, I taught in Queens. I, I don't want to, you know, I'm collecting a pension now. I don't want to. Oh, okay. It so let me, let me take a guess. All right. Let me see if it's the big three. Jamaica high school. It, it on the was hill. A junior high school. Actually. Oh, okay. Junior high school. All right. Uh, I'm not as up to date on my junior high schools. I was ready to predict what high school and I would have nailed it, Mike. I would I mean, have been like Sigmund Floyd figuring out, you know, through psychoanalysis, which high school you were a dean at. But now you say it's a junior high school. Yeah. <laughs> you busted my bubble, Mike. 
Oh, those were the days. Let me tell you something. Teachers, they were, a guy was giving them a hard time. They go to the gym teacher in a teacher's lounge. Gym teacher would say, I'll take care of it in gym class. And they would. Oh, man, they were the enforcers. <laughs> and the first thing they would do to you, humiliate you in the boys' class was climb the rope. Then you knew somebody was going to get their butt kicked. Because almost nobody, and you know the ones who were able to climb the rope? The skinniest guys, the skinny Bellinis, with no muscle content in their arms. They were able to go up one rope, down the other rope. All the muscle heads, all the tough guys couldn't go up the rope. It's as if it was greased with Vaseline. Me, I go halfway up the rope, slip down. Gym teacher would say, hey, get the hell up that rope, sleeve. Okay, I'm trying. You know, put your leg around it, squeeze as much as you could and try to get some leverage. Never worked for me. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ronnie in Elmont where the hawk is talking here at WABC. Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah, look, we accept all types. I mean, there are some folks, uh, they listen to talk radio. You know, there was a study at the University of Nebraska recently. It wasn't uh, padded one way or the other, to the left or the right. And they said, they, after studying listeners of uh, talk political radio and talk TV politics, that people were getting sick. They were getting migraine headaches. They were coming down with all kinds of ailments. They were nauseous. They were suffering from bouts sometimes of projectile vomiting. I think this is one of the cases. The man, this is a case. You know, because we're talking crime, 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 fear city, being swallowed up into the abyss. Now, think about this. Imagine if you were some schmuck. I mean, some uh, uh, guy in Iowa where there are more pigs than people or Idaho where there are more potatoes than people. And they're sending out these advisories. Come to New York City, fear city. It's hotel week. There's a 22% discount. And instead of having a little chocolate put on your uh, uh, your banky, you know, with your pillows, your my pillows, you actually uh, have a bulletproof body condom put out there for your stay. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Tom down the Jersey Shore in Red Bank, where the hawk is talking here on WABC. Tom, Curtis, first of all, thank you so much for the backstory on the police assassination this past week. Um, a lot of people don't know about that, but let, let me swing right into Eric Adams, who's been a monumental disaster in the first month of his administration. We should have known that when he went to National Action Network to meet with uh, Reverend Sharpton and Alvin Bragg. And then when he appointed his brother as his bodyguard, and I, what I couldn't get over was, I've got to be protected from white supremacists. (laughs) Curtis, with your granular knowledge of New York, when was the last time there was a white supremacist crime in New York City? Tom, I wanted to give the benefit of the doubt to the new mayor, who, by the way, during the race called me a racist, a liar, a fraud, a buffoon and a clown, and then afterwards said, oh, I know Curtis, 40 years. Uh, He's my friend. Sure. But anyway, Tom, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. So do you know what I spent my week doing last week, and I'll never get those hours back again? I said, look, maybe Eric Adams knows something that we don't know. There's a white sheet sale at Bed Bath & Beyond. (laughs) 
I'm going to spend my week there in the aisle because, let's face it, if there are white supremacists in New York City, they would take advantage of a white sheet sale. The clerks came up to me, Tom. They said, Curtis, why are you here? Naturally, I had to bamboozle them. I said, you know, a lot of shoplifting. I'm here to assist you. They said, oh, thank God. You know, it's happening morning, noon, and night. Shoplifters. Thank you, Curtis. I didn't see one white supremacist in a week at Bed Bath & Beyond trying to take advantage of the white sheet sale there. I, I, I couldn't get over that one. But here's another thing. Do you know whether or not the mayor controls the DA's budget? Yes. Yes, he does. Well, if he does, uh, one of the ways that he can do is just chop it and say, Alvin, uh, this is the way it's got to roll here. We need to prosecute crimes. When, when I, there was a statement put out by uh, – and by the way, when Alvin came into office, he issued his uh, manifesto, so to speak. And I think people don't understand. This wasn't something he did on the spur of the moment. He was working on this from the moment he got he got elected. Now, part, part of what I think is a simple problem, at least a start, is the Bail Reform Act. Revoke it and give discretion to the judges to keep guys in custody that are doing these crazy things. I mean, one of Alvin's uh, policies is he's not going to prosecute anybody who's resisting arrest. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. I know he campaigned on that. He was very explicit about that. He had his manifesto that was already out in his campaign literature. He quoted from his manifesto right here at WABC when he uh, debated his other Democratic opponents, seven of them. There was one moderate Democrat amongst them, a woman named Crotty. She got only 6% of the Democratic votes. Uh, I, Tom, if he ran again tomorrow with all this negative publicity, he'd be elected in a landslide here in uh, in liberal progressive Manhattan. Well, people are dying. I'm, I'm a little I, – I, I got a daughter that's 29 years old, fairly accomplished professional. She just moved into New York City she, uh, on, uh, on uh, uh, East 58th Street. And it, it kind of broke my heart, but she always wanted to live in New York City. But I am fearful when she goes out. And she's a go-out kid. She's a good kid. Uh, I, I got whacked a little bit on uh, Christmas. You know, Dad, if you want me to be safe, I need some money for Ubers. You know, <laughs> so. But, but Tom, Tom, the New York City is dependent on female workers. They're the majority. Nightlife is completely dependent on women because, you know, as a guy, if there are no ladies at the club or no ladies at the bar, you ain't going there. So they're not taking the subway in droves. They're taking Lyft. They're taking Uber, any kind of app service. There's only a limited amount of money that they can use to do that. So by giving your daughter money, believe it or not, even though it's like she was shaking you down, she's better off (laughs) at this moment. Taking the Uber than taking the subway. I'm scared, Curtis. I don't go. I mean, I live in Jersey. I used to love to go into the city. I'm afraid to now. I'm not afraid of COVID, but I am afraid of random violence. Well, look look at also the problem, Tom. It's not just violence. But if you decide to come into the city, Jersey Shore, let's say you go the circuitous route. You go over the Outer Bridge Crossing into Staten Island, right? You get clipped. 
then over the Verrazano Bridge, and then through a tunnel into Manhattan, you get clipped. They're going to have congestion pricing soon below 60, 60th Street. You're going to get clipped again. Uh, parking, you need a reverse mortgage. Uh, if, you, if you're going to a restaurant or a bar because there's a shortage of uh, materials and items, you know, they've had to jack up the prices. You better sell your home there in Red Bank before you even plan on coming for a visit in New York City. It's pricing itself out. You know what, though, Curtis? I take the boat over. There's a boat that goes from Highlands or Atlantic yeah, Highlands. You yeah. know, they have two ports there. And they stop at the Battery and at uh, 35th Street. Oh, I, I so remember I had, to speak, uh, I had to speak at Keyport High School, which is right there. Really? Sure, and, yeah. And I, 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 took, where it is. I took the ferry out there. It was great. But I got to tell you, nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you end up okay. You you stop at the ferry, and now you have to negotiate your way through the streets and the subways and get to your your place of business, or maybe when the theaters open back up after the lockdown, or whatever it is that attracted you into New York City. And you got to run through a phalanx of emotionally disturbed persons, homeless people. <laughs> I thugs. can't run anymore, Curtis. I mean, you know, uh, you're not as old as I am, but. I think you remember the program, The Chipmunks? Yes. And who who was the chipmunk that always was making trouble? Alvin. Hmm. Alvin. Alvin. That's right. Wasn't it uh, Harry Harrison, the mayor of New York City? By the way, he lived in New Jersey, not far from you. Self-appointed really? mayor of New York City and the old uh, uh, Top 40 station, number one station in America, spinning stacks of wax, WABC. Oh, Harry Harrison, one of the good guys. Yeah, he used to play. Uh, the Chipmunk song. Yeah, there you go. And and you're right, the wise guy was Alvin. Was Alvin. Yeah. And, well, he's costing lives now. Yep. And yep. I wish he would wake up. I just wish he would wake I don't wish anybody ill, but I, I, I'm done with policy stuff. Well, Tom, and, think uh, of it this way. Uh, we we heard from Alvin Bragg his narrative. He was very loud and proud about his roots, Harlem. He told us that he got held up at gunpoint three times by thugs. Three other times he had guns put to his head uh, because of profiling and stop and frisk by cops. Uh, Didn't catch the bullets like you did, dude. No, but, he, uh, you know, I believe it. It's legit. He's been a lifelong resident of Harlem. Yet here it is, the two police officers shot the other night. Rivera, unfortunately, has uh, passed away. Mora right. is clinging to life. He couldn't even walk over a few blocks to Harlem Hospital and queue up behind the mayor like a lot of the others who hate cops like Jumani Williams and Richardson and others who shouldn't have been there, but they were. He didn't even make an appearance. He should have been front and center. He didn't even make an appearance at the 32nd Precinct. So you, you know where this guy's heart and soul is. He's not with the cops. He's with wanting to hug thugs, turn them loose. He hugs dogs. He really thinks in what they call reparative justice. It's like, for instance, let's say, Tom, that you were uh, at the theater in a parking lot, and I came up to you with a Louisville slugger and broke your collarbone, and I got locked up Midtown South. If Alvin Bragg had his druthers, uh, he would uh, not have the cops charge uh, me at all with assault and battery. Uh, I, I don't get that. And you know what broke my heart? These kids that were shot, and they were kids that were shot, that they they stuck up for the city in, in in this kind of an atmosphere. What do you tell the young men and women that want to be police? You know who I like? The commissioner. 
the, the uh, uh, female commissioner. Sewell. She's kind of laid down. What do you think? No, not ready for prime time. Uh, Tom, no, understand this. She makes a good appearance. Uh, she's very serious, has a very serious demeanor. Originally, she grew up in the world's uh, largest public housing project, Queensbridge, in the shadow of the 59th Street Bridge. Uh, but her claim to fame is she was head of the detectives unit in Nassau County, about yeah, 300 yeah. detectives. Uh, you notice you since Friday night, right, when she came out and she began the press conference at the hospital to give us all an update on the condition of Rivera. We found out the police uh, officer Rivera had died and police officer Mora, who was clinging to life. You haven't oh, seen her in the last few days, have you? No, that's that's. That's for sure. Why? Why That's is that? Sure. Why is that, Tom? I can't figure this out. You know, the answers to these things are, you know, people talk about Giuliani and Bloomberg when they had the, the squeegee guys and the turnstile jumpers. They weren't doing that, I don't think, to put them in jail because they knew they weren't going to stay in jail long. They were doing it to check if they had warrants. And lots of them showed up with serious felonies. Oh, yeah. Simple fare evasion. Uh, You didn't pay your fare. They stop you, do a background check, and they come up with all kinds of warrants on you. But the reason, Tom, you didn't see Sewell, the brand-new police commissioner, female police commissioner, is that people looked at her presentation Friday night at Harlem Hospital, and it was superfluous, better than the mayor himself, who was all over the map. Mayors, and this includes Mike Kumbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, never wanted one-upmanship from their police commissioner. That's why you got rid of Bratton. I, I, I believe I, I believe Eric Adams decided that Friday night, I don't need to be upstaged by my police commissioner. If you, if you notice, the rest of the weekend, every public appearance he's made at the 32nd Precinct, at an anti-gun forum in the Bronx... Uh, at every event, she hasn't been with him. Have you noticed that? You're right. It's, Why? You're totally right. Why? L- let me run this by you, see if you agree. <clears throat> the random stuff is bad, is bad. But can you imagine living in the communities where this kind of stuff happens every day and people are afraid to go out and get a, a quart of milk or a, a box of cereal or a newspaper because of these thugs that are, Running the neighborhood. Well, well, let me give you the juxtaposition. Uh, I deal with all these uh, liberal, progressive, AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, sycophants, who are opposed to solitary confinements in jail. I've been in jails. None of these other elected officials have been locked up. I know what it's like to be in solitary confinement. In fact, in some instances, it's you go to solitary confinement for your own protection. It's called Punk City Protective Custody because really? the inmates okay. in the general population will slice you up from ear to ear. You welcome solitary confinement. But think of it. All of these elderly people, these mothers with children in the inner city, are forced to live under solitary confinement in their apartments. They can't leave. And yet the elected officials are more concerned with thugs and thuggettes who occasionally, for disciplinary reasons in prison, get sent to solitary confinement. Yeah. Think of that. Think of that, Tom, in Red Bank, New Jersey, where the hook is talking. See, that, 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 that's a stream of consciousness, you see. I didn't need a guest. Tom was better than any guest. You know what a guest does. They just regurgitate their talking points. 
Who needs a guest, right? And, and, you know, it's the amen corner. You know, we'll be hearing that with Frank Morano coming up. He'll have a guest on some topic somewhere between 1 and 5 in the morning. Glad you asked that, Frank. I think you're right, Frank. I agree with that, Frank. I call it the amen corner. What do you need a guest for if it's going to be all agreement? All kissy, kissy. I love you, you love me. Like Barney, right? That's what summer talk radio is like. That's not my talk radio. Oh, here's Frank Morano in the bullpen warming up. I love you, you love me. You'll be listening to Barney pretty soon with Carmine. Anyway, let's go to uh, Glenn. Uh, the Hawk is talking uh, in Hillside. Your turn here on WABC, Glenn. Uh, hello, Curtis. Um, oh, one correction before I get to uh, uh, what I was going to uh, talk about. It was uh, Herb Oscar Anderson in the morning. It had morning drive time. He was deemed the morning mayor of New York. And I met him, and, uh, and he said, oh, he says, if your father's ever uh, commuting into Jersey City, uh, call me, and uh, I'll uh, give a uh, traffic report. But it was Herb Oscar Anderson, now, hold on the second. morning mayor. Hold on a second. Oscar Meyer made dirty water hot dogs. What are you talking about here? You, you... Now, Herb Oscar Anderson. <laughs> No, 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 no. It was Harry Harrison. I'm sorry, man. We're going to have an argument here. We're going to be clashing. I got another guy here saying it's uh, it's uh, Oscar Mayer. No, I didn't like their hot dogs. I didn't like their hot dogs, Oscar Mayer. Curtis, uh, this Thursday, I see that there was a little blurb on ABC.com. Uh, you're going to be on uh, with, with Truth and Lies, The Last Gangster, uh, talking about Sam and the Bull. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a two-hour national show on ABC, Channel 7 locally, about the Gambino crime family. Uh, there, there will be John Gotti Jr., apparently, Sammy the Bull Gravano. Uh, there will be t- Tommy Francesi. Uh, uh, I'll be on it. Uh, I don't know uh, what my role in it. It's two hours. Uh, I had a role in Fear City with uh, Rudy Giuliani recently talking about the destruction of the five uh, heads of organized crime. That was on HBO. So it'll be interesting, although uh, the last time I was with the Gambinos uh, clan, interesting, Frank Morano was getting married to Rachel. Uh, and on one side, there was myself, Nancy. There was everybody from WABC. And on the other side were the Gambinos and the Gottis, all the Gottis. Can you imagine what that was like at that wedding? Uh-huh. So you, didn't, you don't know how good or how accurate the, uh, the show is going to be in terms of, of uh, uh, chronicling uh, uh, organized crime. Then. No, I think it's going to be more about Sammy the Bull, Gravano, because remember, originally the interview was done, uh, and I'm forgetting her name right now, uh, older blonde woman now who had done the original sit-down with Sammy the Bull Gravano after ABC, remember, paid for his plastic surgery when he had eaten the Parmesan cheese and had testified against John Gotti Sr. in that last trial? Well, you should tell you should tell the folks it's Limburger cheese because it stinks. It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they cut it. I don't know if I'm left on the floor. Uh, I assume I'm an integral part. I mean, if you tell me uh, that Tommy Francisi, John Gotti Jr., Sammy the Bull Gravano, I'm sure some other people, Curtis Sliwa, I'm an adversary. So I would think uh, that I would get a little bit, a good chunk of time to talk about how I hate all these guys and I hope they go straight to hell 
without an asbestos suit. You think they'll let that one air? Now, they didn't, they didn't show you on TV for the promo, but it's on ABC.com, that, that blurb, where you talk about he ate the Parmesan cheese. And no, 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 no hold, hold on. Check. They don't have me in the promo on TV. Who's in the promo, Clint? Uh, I guess uh, his daughter. She, she, uh, she's talking a lot about, uh, about Sammy. Oh, my God. I'm not even in the promo cut on TV. I'm only relegated. No, on ABC.com. That's that's where you see a little. That's where you see you. Wait, wait, wait a second. That's low budget, there, Glenn. I should have been prime time. I'm already yeah. cut out of the promo. <laughs> this does not. Well, the, this promo, does, the promo on .com is a little bit longer than what they put on TV. Yeah, so, I would hope uh, so. I, guess, I would hope so. Yeah. But I, I'm very disappointed already. I'm not feeling good about this. I'm feeling a little nauseous, Glenn. I, I didn't have a big role in Fear City on HBO, but I opened the show. Remember, I was in the barber chair. I didn't have the bray on, the red sateen jacket. The barber to all mobsters who normally with that straight-edge razor, you know, when he's giving you a shave, would have slit my ear, ear to ear. I would have bled out right in his barber chair. He was no friend of mine. And I was riffing how my uncle uh, Jimmy Scavone had to pay a vig to the Bonanno crime family. Uh, he was a butcher. Because he was a degenerate gambler. I remember that. And then they showed a little scene of me patrolling uh, in the trains as a guardian angel. Uh, so if you haven't seen Fear City, HBO, it's great. Look, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Kumbadicic, steals the show. He's on in the two episodes. And you see exactly, with the aid of the FBI undercover operatives who planted all the bugs and wired up these Gabon's houses and restaurants like Christmas trees, how Rudy Giuliani brought down the five heads of organized crime. They said it could never be done. It was you, you watch that. That's why you have to watch it, because it shows you exactly how he did it. And when people demean Rudy now, and, you know, obviously a lot of people say, well, I don't agree with him coming to the defense of Trump, talking about Dominion, Smartmatic, that the election was stolen. Uh, then don't think about the new Rudy Giuliani. Think about the old Rudy Giuliani. U.S. Attorney, Southern District, took out the five heads of organized crime. Oh, wait a second. Actually, it was John Gotti Sr., John Gotti, uh, Sammy the Bull, who beat them to uh, uh, Paulie Castellano, got him outside of Spark Steakhouse. And then he took out uh, the new leader of the Gambino crime family. Great. You got to watch that, and you got to watch this uh, Gambino crime special which I hope I don't end up on the cutting room floor on ABC TV, Channel 7 locally. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to Mitch, where the hawk is talking in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mitch. Yeah, hi. I'm calling uh, about the situation in New York City right now. And the first thing, which I know you're not going to agree with, the first thing is get rid of the Second Amendment. Get rid of the Second Amendment. Give the gun shops about a three-year uh window of opportunity to reinvent themselves, just like with the pandemic, the alcohol, the, the beer companies, liquor companies were making uh, hand, hand uh, cleaner. But anyway, you should increase the penalties for illegal possession of a gun to at least five years in prison, at least, for selling a gun, at least 15 years in prison. The idea is to get all the guns off the street. The only people who should have guns are police, military, and security. Second Amendment was made in colonial times. It was a lot different than now. If people, you know, need to protect themselves, I understand that. But overall, 
without the Second Amendment, there'd be a lot less people getting killed. I guarantee that. All right, but now let me take you back in the time machine into the early 80s. You remember the subway gunman yeah. Bernard Getz? He had an illegal, yeah. illegal handgun surrounded yep. by those four thugs. Let me see if I can remember because we used to see them on a number two train when we were on patrol. Uh, there was uh, Troy Canty. Uh, there was uh, Daryl Cabey. Uh, Barry Allen, I'm missing the other one, James Ramsour. Wow, I got all four of them. Yep. They, 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 they lived thug life, and they ended up going down for the count. Uh, you know, uh, Bernie Getz did not get convicted of any of the most serious charges in Manhattan uh, criminal court yeah. by uh, the DA at that time, Morgenthau, through his ADA Waples, but he did end up having to do seven and a half months on Rikers Island in Punk City Protective Custody for having an illegal handgun. Should he have had an illegal handgun, Mitch? Well, I know. I never had a handgun, period. And the thing is, with Getz, nobody really knows for sure what happened. I mean, he said they surrounded him with sharpened screwdrivers or a knife, and if they threatened him, they asked him in a menacing way for money. They claim that they just politely panhandled you know, they have a quarter. I think there was the truth was somewhere in the middle. I don't think either side was completely truthful. If he was in that situation where, his, where he felt like his life was in danger, then he did what he had to do. But the thing is, right now there are too many guns, too many guns. And Well, Mitch, is, Mitch, and this is one thing that our new mayor is not talking about. He's talking about the guns coming in through the iron pipeline. He is correct. Uh, illegal guns come into the city every day, but not to the extent he's saying. And by the way, Mitch, there are already two million illegal handguns uh, in circulation in the five boroughs, most of them owned by law-abiding men and women, whether they have mom-and-pop grocery stores, bodegas, shops, or they have it on their premises because they can't qualify for a permit, a premise permit, because there's such draconian measures you have to go through in order to get a permit. And if you want to carry permit, you got to have a platinum card. you got to grease the yeah. wheel. Uh, a lot of cops for years would sell the permits at one police plaza. Uh, some of them got indicted for that. They went to prison for that. Yeah, but it's I remember all, that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's all, hey, and uh, Phil Banks, who's now the deputy mayor in, yeah, in charge yeah. of public safety, was right in the middle of that. And now, what, what, is a, what is a person to do other than put a for sale sign up and leave? Well, I don't know. The other thing, though, is that I can't understand why after all the people, before the recent one that happened last Sunday, why all the people who've been pushed in front of trains, jumped in front of trains, fell in front, I can't understand why the MTA is so averse to getting the platform doors that would prevent that. Now they're saying they might do it, but I know they're never going to do it. They need to get platform doors like they have in other cities that would prevent people from getting onto the tracks in the first place. And I've gone to so many politicians about that, not one of them would help me. Not one of them, not one. And that's something that right now I don't think they can avoid it anymore because people are getting hit by trains at an astronomical rate. And this is supposed to be a civilized country. It should not be happening. I don't care how much money it costs. They're getting a lot of money from the Biden administration with, the, you know, the infrastructure. And they spent $2 billion to extend the 7 train by, what, four blocks from 42nd and 7th to 34th and 11th? That was $2 billion. They're going to spend money to extend the 2nd Avenue subway the uh, LIRR to go to Grand Central. Why can't some of that money go for platform doors? Very cogent, Mitch. You see, if you're cogent, you get to talk a lot. If you just repeat what everybody else has said, days and days and days, I give you a bris, a talk radio bris. 
Now, the uh, things that he was referring to on the platform, these are the doors, these are the gates that would be put up that would hermetically seal you in on your platform in the station. And it would only open up the subway platform barriers. They have the doors open when the train comes in uh, that are lined up to where the train is. I have seen them in Paris. There are a few. Montreal, an amazing subway system with stained glass windows. They pump in, believe it or not, music. I mean, classical music. The trains have rubber wheels so you don't hear the iron grinding on the rails. I have seen them, uh, the subway platform barriers on some of the stations uh, in London. Back to Jubilee Line, that's one of the newer lines, and I've seen it in Tokyo. But in all of those places, they're put up to prevent jumpers, people who commit suicide by jumping in front of trains. In none of those situations is it to prevent people from being pushed in front of oncoming trains. That only exists here. That only exists here because we allow the emotionally disturbed to live in a subway system. We do not remove them. We do not take them uh, for a psychiatric observation and then have another shrink look at them. And if they have an agreeable diagnosis, you remand them for an additional 90 days of psychiatric observation while you clean them up. You get them on their meds. You get them fresh clothes. They shower. Uh, There's a sense of normalcy over those 90 days. And then you determine, a shrink determines if they should be made a ward of the state. The state when Andrew Evelines Cuomo uh, was first elected governor, had 30,000 beds, 30,000 beds in psychiatric hospitals. He cut the budget. They're down to 3,000. When the lockdown came about in March of 2020, there were psychiatric patients in state hospitals, municipal hospitals, private hospitals. Private hospitals, if they want to have Medicaid, they have to take on a certain number of psychiatric patients, mental health care patients. They had to cut them all loose. I understand we needed the beds. People were perishing uh, of this coronavirus that we know so little about. They were being swallowed up into the ERs, into the ICUs. We needed every bed we could get. So they had to release all the other patients, including those who were under psychiatric care. The problem is that when things normalized, they never went back and began to call them and bring them back for their continued care. So without their medication, without their therapy, uh, I got to tell you, if you're sane and sober, if you're in control of your mental faculties and you're living in a subway for more than a day, you start to lose it. I know I've been in that situation. You start to lose it. Uh, let's go to uh, Eddie, who's calling from Staten Island, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? I just wanted to say, this is what the people... <sighs> uh, how many times has this happened? I really, I really am going to have a sit down with our owner-operator, John and Margot Katsimatidis, owner of Red Apple Media, the parent company of WABC, because I have to set up a re-education camp. It's, it's obvious. Uh, so many of you, uh, you make the same mistakes. Again, let me, let me just give you a, a little thumbnail sketch of what you, you don't ask me how I'm doing. I'm going to tell you I've had better days. Secondly, you don't thank me for taking your phone call because 
I've been soliciting you to call ad nauseum. And you never say the colloquial, hey, first time caller, long time listener. Kabish, Eddie, Kabish, huh? You Kabish, Eddie. I got you. Okay. I got you. All right, you got me. This is what the people voted for. They voted for Eric Adams. Let them wallow in what they voted for. I'm getting out. It's time to leave New York. The other thing is the Mitch, your last caller, doesn't have a clue. I'd like, he's a liberal that let him get surrounded by thugs on a, on a, on a train and let's see what he says then. These people don't change until things happen to them, unfortunately. Now, let me ask you a question, Eddie, because I know you're perusing uh, at night on the Internet. Uh, what locations uh, might you end up packing your bags and moving to? I'd rather not say, but I'm going to Florida. And I don't want all these liberals to follow me because they're just going to—they're going to pollute down there. Now, when I was running for mayor, Eddie, and I lost to Eric Adams, uh, radio stations from down south that were supporting me. You know, in the red states, we say, Curtis, you have to win. And they would say, because if you win, you'll keep the people there in New York City. This way we don't become purple and then eventually become blue. A hundred percent true. My family voted for you. It's I don't understand how you did not win overwhelmingly. There is not even a comparison. You would have done such a much a better such a better job than who they voted in, but they voted that in. You know, Eddie, a simple thing, a simple thing like Penn Station, right? It's a, a controlled area. A lot of homeless, a lot of emotionally disturbed people. Lots of traffic through there. All he had to do was just get control of Penn Station. Now, remember, you have more law enforcement there than anywhere else. You have the federal cops, Amtrak cops. You have the state police there. You have uh, the National Guard there. You have the MTA cops. You have the NYPD cops. If only he had done that. Up next, the most requested of the many hours that I do over the weekend, making WABC the acronym mean always broadcasting, Curtis, It's our Animal Welfare Hour featuring my wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer. We'll be taking your calls and actually giving you all the animal news before we turn over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to Frank Morano for the start of the other side of midnight at 1 o'clock. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Mark Levin. Entertaining and informative. It won't be Trump who will suffer from the history books. It'll be the American media. It'll be the American Democrat Party as a party of saboteurs. The individuals who worked in the Obama-Biden administration. It'll be them. They won't be forgotten. They'll be condemned by history. Not recent history books, but in the far distant future. That will be their legend. The Great One. Mark Levin. Weeknights at 6. Listen on the 77 WABC mobile app. The Other Side of Midnight gives you more chances for fun with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Frank Morano. Do you like money? Do you like radio? Can you answer trivia questions? Well, if so, you're in luck. For your chance to win $1,000, play the $1,000 Minute with me on 77 WABC every morning at 4.30. Answer 10 questions in a minute. Win a grand. Simple as that. I'll see you on the radio. The Other Side of Midnight, live and local, all night long, 77 WABC.
Preemptively came into the studio and threw uh, some paper at me and hit me right in my head. And uh, as you know, Nancy, I have had a series of mild concussions recently, and I think he's triggered it off again by conking me right on my nougat. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that doesn't fly with me. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to take care of Frank Morata. He hit me right in the head. Oh, my goodness. Oh, anyway, anyway, we've got our full hour here uh, with a little promo of what Frank Morano has coming up, although he's got a great, great podcast. We're going to promo that, too. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, but, Nancy, there are a whole series of animal-related issues this week, and people already want to start calling in and commenting, but most importantly, asking you a animal rescuer, things that they should be doing or advice about animal care. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, I never asked you. In all the time we've been together, in all the time we've been married, in all the songs that we play that we love, especially the EDM electronic dance mu- uh, music, do you like that song, Vertigo, by uh, by you 2 and Bono? You know, actually, that's the first time I heard that song. <laughs> Do you like it? it? It sounds good. It sounds good. Okay. All right. All right. So it's not quite an A-plus in your book. Uh, maybe B, right? There you go. B. I'll take a B. All right. Now, series of issues. Because of the inclement weather, increasingly uh, pet owners, especially those with dogs, because they have to take them out to walk sometimes two, three times a day, they're... There's available to them a wide range of wardrobe items. Can you discuss some of the um, items that the pet owners are turning their their dogs into, real fashionistas? Well, yeah, between, like, um, the, the, the coats and then also, like, the little booties and stuff, like, that they have. I mean, you know, it, it, like, when you see the dogs walking on the streets in New York City... It's like it is kind of uh, you know you know funny when you see them with all the little clothing on, but the reality is they get as cold as we do. So if people are walking their dogs outside and they just think, oh well, it's no big deal, they're dogs. Like no, if you're cold, they're cold. So you do need to you know keep them warm when they're outside, especially their feet. It's like the cement is cold, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like bringing attention to the fact that, you know, a dog come. I mean, especially a lot of people in New York City, because when you have dogs, you can't really have like the big dogs like you have in the country. So these are like small little dogs, like they need to be kept warm. So that's important to make sure they're clothed during the, the cold weather like this. But it looks to me weird to walk outside and see a dog there with booties on. And, you know, a North Face jacket. 
you know, as they're going around sniffing trees, uh, lifting their leg and doing what they, they have to do uh, uh, three times a day. Well, w- w- when you come home and I, and I tell you, like, just take your shoes off, like, I don't want the, the stuff that you've been trouncing on throughout the city, you know, throughout the apartment, like, yeah, there's a reason. So it's like with the dogs, it's like, yeah, you don't want the same thing. <laughs> like, they're going to be trying to clean themselves or getting it all over the apartment. Like, I mean, it, like, let's be honest, it's not very uh, clean outside. So, you know, you need to protect yourself. Now, question. Uh, the other week, I was listening to Sid Rosenberg on with Bo Dito in the morning, and Bo was talking about how he would view some of his friends who were dog lovers, and he would watch the dog, and the dog seemed to be sniffing another dog's uh, backside, uh, then ends up licking its own backside. Then the uh, the dog owner. Uh, immediately begins to allow the dog to lick them uh, on their face, sometimes on their lips. Uh, And he found that quite offensive. Like, you know, it's like spreading germs. Why do so many people do that? I mean, you've probably seen that too. And is there any danger in doing that? Well, I've definitely seen that. But obviously, um, you know, um, I'm a cat lover. I have a lot of cats. You know, we have a lot of cats. Um, Cats don't do that. Cats are you know, very, you know, clean with their behavior. Um, Now, in terms of dogs, I'm sure it's fine, but I would be a little bit weirded out as well if that was going on. It's like, I just know cats are over the top, you know, clean. So, yeah, that doesn't even cross my mind. But, yeah, that is a little bit weird. (laughs) Like, I I would be a little freaked out if if the dog starts, you know, licking your face after it was like, you know, dealing with another dog and outside, like, yeah, that, yeah, that that would, wouldn't would sit well with me. Now, speaking of animals uh, and weirding you out, <laughs> there seems to be a move uh, to fear animals uh, infecting human beings with COVID-19. And uh, what has come to the forefront is how they're culling herds of mink, I think especially in the Netherlands, uh, but in some other parts where... They, they will wipe out entire numbers of animals because they believe that they're transferring COVID-19 onto humans. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, first of all, this is um, – it, it really it's, – it's totally disturbing to me that this would be even in the mix of, you know, uh, all these different places considering it. Um, with I mean, there's been a couple stories about – Oh, you know, a possibility of an animal transmitting COVID to a person, and it's never been verified. But now here in the reverse, what's happening is people seem to be a way better transmitter of COVID to all these different animals. And that's being overlooked. So with the minks, like, uh, for, for example, they have, you know, picked up on this a lot. So there's a lot of um, minks that have been infected with COVID just by virtue of being exposed to people with COVID. But again, the protection doesn't work, you know, in the reverse. Like there's no concern about the animals. So when all of a sudden there's like, oh, maybe a couple, you know, animals get infected, they're they're so inconsequential, sadly, that, you know, it'll be just like the order 
oh, just like, you know, you know, get rid of all of them, and they just put them all to sleep, and they kill them all. Like, that's really the problem. So, for instance, in this story um, that I read, which was really great, um, that was done by the New York Times, like, it was so in-depth, it really described everything going on at the, this, like, particular, like, minx farm. But I know when I when I um, adopt cats, for instance, from the city shelter, every single cat is required to have a rabies vaccination. Now, in New York City, there's been, I think, every year, maybe, like, one case of rabies that's, like, you know, for, uh, transmitted from a cat to a person. Yet every single cat is required to have that. Now here you have the COVID, you know, going on where animals are being, uh, you know, eliminated, like you know, by by the thousands. But they're not requiring these places to actually give COVID vaccinations for these animals, which do exist. So it's like you know, you, you have to start looking at the practicality of it. It's like. You, I mean, these animals are already suffering enough as it is. Why would you not focus on giving them one thing versus the other? Our numbers, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight wabc Speaking of rabies shots, you may not know this about your husband, but when <laughs> I was a kid, uh, I would hang out in the back of the Canarsie Cemetery, at that time the only secular cemetery uh, in New York City, owned by the city of New York and not a religious uh, affiliation, and there was a whole group of maple trees in the back, and bats would hang uh, upside down during the day, sleeping, because they were nocturnal at night. So I would climb the trees and hang upside down myself, <laughs> like a bat, and I guess uh, I took a maneuver up in the tree that woke up uh, one of the bats, and he ended up biting me right in the stomach. And then they took me to Brookdale Hospital, and I had to get these horse shots, these rabies <laughs> shots, about 12 of them, right in my stomach because they said, if you don't get these shots, you'll start, it, foam will start coming out of your mouth. You'll be rabid. Uh, in those days, we thought every animal might potentially uh, be carrying rabies. Like we had wild packs of dogs in that. Again, people would get bit by them, and they'd have to go for these rabies shots. So we're over that, right? Yeah, I mean, and when you walk into, like, any single, like, establishment, like a bank, a store, they have, like, a hand sanitizer before you walk out. It's, like, so over the top. I mean, I remember growing up, too. Like, there was nothing like that. Like, you're just playing in the dirt, the mud. Like, there's not that level of concern. So I think there's something being missed with the way that the immune system functions, that it needs to be exposed to some of this stuff, like this like sort of over, you know, sort of uh, sanitizing isn't a good thing for the system? Well, you were certainly exposed to that in Bohemia and Suffolk County where you grew up. Oh, yeah. I, I lived um, down the block from uh, Kinequa uh, State Park. So I was always in, you know, the park and, you know, in like the forest. Like, I mean, that was how I grew up. Now, yeah. speaking of COVID-19, speaking of animals uh, that either have COVID-19, have been accused of transferring COVID-19 to humans, or as you said, vice versa, humans to animals, there was that Pennsylvania lab that was transporting monkeys, uh, and they ended up escaping from a truck there. Uh, explain what had happened, because in the past, when you'd have explained how animals have escaped 
like uh, cows before they were brought to a slaughterhouse. They'd be rescued and brought to a sanctuary. What became of these monkeys? Oh, yeah. yeah. So what happened was the um, the um, truck that was transporting, I think it was like 100 uh, monkeys that were, uh, you know, destined for a lab where they're being tested for like COVID type stuff. Uh, there was four of them that had escaped from the enclosures that they had. And then finally they were like looking for one of them. And the news media was saying, oh, you know, if you see this monkey, you know, don't try to approach it, call 911. Like they were just so against this monkey having its freedom. Like I was hoping someone would find this, <laughs> find it. And, and, and I'm not sure if it's like the cost related to it because these are – Apparently, it's like they cost like ten thousand dollars each. These like uh, you know, sort of primates and stuff. It's like I think it's macaws or something. But yeah, so they were telling people don't approach it. Call nine one one. It's like yeah, it's just it's just a monkey who hopefully is trying to get to freedom. Like why would you call the the cops on them? And you have no idea if all of them were gathered up. Well, no. So at this point, they said they they finally found the last monkey, which to me is like you know. I feel bad about that. I was hoping someone would have gotten out, but... Well, so you would have been almost uh, guiding them to safety. You would have been shepherding them to safety and life on their own. I mean, it, it, the 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 whole reason that they're being tested on in the first place is because they have such a similarity to human beings, which, in my opinion, means that's exactly the reason you shouldn't be doing this stuff to them. They feel everything the, the same way we do. It's like, I think there's really something wrong with doing that stuff. I think there's a lot of other methods to, you know, test. Like, you don't have to keep on doing this stuff. Like, it, it's really a tragic thing. Now, what about this story? And this really struck me odd because uh, in our house with our 16 rescue cats and 328 square feet of studio apartment on the Upper West Side, uh, the main function is changing the litter boxes at least three times a day. Uh, that, that's really become your function, thank God, or I'd end up with a double hernia. But this story about litter boxes for students who identify as furries, what the hell is that about? Yeah, so, so it started off as, um, you know, uh, something that was, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, mentioned in, uh, you know, online in the Michigan school system. And then all of a sudden they were trying to deflect, like, oh, it's not really a, an actual thing. So it, it, was, it was almost like people who identify as animals, like furries, like that's what they were calling it. So, but but they, they felt the need to actually try to dispel this story because I, clearly it got a lot of traction where people were thinking it was like a reality. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, – what can be gained from this story, except for the fact that I like the fact that there's an ability to say, oh, maybe we can just have uh, more litter boxes around, like, schools and stuff like that. Like, I think the more people can bring their animals, you know, to their environment, I think the better. I mean, every place I've been where animals exist, whether it's, like, a, a deli or whether it's a school or if I visit someone's house, like, when I see a pet there right away it's very calming and it's like you know i'm engaged right away it's like it's, it's a very nice thing so i think there is a reason to promote that and you know try to make that happen as much as you can because 
it's a, a benefit to everybody. Wow. I, I, you see, what I called from that article is, is that uh, students had an option. Instead of trying to get a bathroom pass, they could just go right into the litter box. No, 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 I don't think it was, I, I, no, I, hopefully it wasn't that. I think it was just more of, um, I mean, like, so, yeah, I think maybe that's, that was, like, extrapolated on, but the idea that at least it got that kind of conversation going forward, like, I think it's great. It's like, you know, you have, oh, you know, bring your, your kid to work day and, and things like that. If you have, like, I mean, there's so many people who travel with their animals. It's like, I think anytime you go into a place where, you can interact with a pet, you know, and you're, you know, that sort of really makes your defenses a little lowered and it makes you a little happier because you're interacting with an animal. I think the more you can get pets integrated into anything. So, for instance, even with, like, kids, kids can go to the animal shelters. They can read to the pets. Like, anything where people can interact with, with animals is such a benefit to society. So we should be promoting that as much as possible. So as absurd and sorry as this is, at least it sort of raises that conversation. Now, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul in New York will not extend the rent moratorium. So uh, she's basically single signal to landlords that if necessary, you can try to evict your tenants if they broke in their lease agreements. And apparently some landlords uh, have used this situation to begin preemptively to try to evict some of their tenants who have pets. Uh, can you update us on that? Yes. Yeah, so so um, uh, one of the recent stories is uh, someone living in Manhattan. They have like a, a, a poodle dog who, you know, they were uh, promoting on social media. And they, you know, they've been living in the apartment for several years and all of a sudden, the landlord said, oh, well, we have a, a no-pet clause, and they're trying to evict this couple because they have, you know, a dog. And so now they're fighting it. And again, now there's, like, these, like, um, legal elements that they're they're basically challenging on. It's like, oh, they, they've had the, the dog, um, you know, openly and, you know, the landlord was aware of it for a couple of months. So once that happens, like, you know, you kind of uh, waive your right, so to speak. But this is a consistent problem that happens, unfortunately, with a lot of pet owners where, you know, animals who get relinquished to the shelters, oh, I'm moving to a place where they don't allow a pet. Like, I'm not sure. It wasn't as though they claimed that this dog was a disturbance. Oh, this dog's a nuisance. They had no reason to actually go after this dog except for just saying oh there's a line item in your lease where you can't have it but this is the thing that animal lovers really need to you know come together and start to fight because there's no reason why an animal who's causing no harm should be banished from an apartment and again like these people they're standing and fighting for the cause but sadly a lot of people will just, you know, fold and have to relinquish the animal to the shelter and they'll be euthanized. Like, this is really the battle going on. Now, the final uh, story, and this uh, actually is a reflection on Frank Morano, who's coming up the other side of midnight. But they had a picture. They call it a Maine Coon Kitten, which outweighs his own son, Carmine, who was born to his <laughs> wife, Rachel, on Thanksgiving Day. 
and now weighs 20 pounds. I mean, he weighed uh, 13 pounds at birth and 18 pounds, now 20 pounds. But this Maine Coon kitten outweighs Carmine. It's 28 pounds, and everyone confuses the kitten with a dog. How can that be? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely based on on the size. So um, we have, like, uh, one of our cats, Athena, when we uh, first rescued her, I think she was maybe like two months old or so. I, ha- I mean, I had no idea like what type of cat that she was. Now she's actually a, um, a Norwegian forest cat, which is, you know, oftentimes confused with the Maine Coon because they're very similar in like their overall characteristics. Athena is about 23 pounds. She's so heavy that when, you know, I had to bring her to the vet, like, you know, I had to have you carry her because she's so heavy. I couldn't even, like, like she's just a big cat. So, yeah, definitely different breeds. They're they're pretty over-the-top huge. And it's like Athena, like I said, she's 23 pounds. She's a big cat. And, I mean, I mean, I, you know, normally most cats, they're like, oh, 10 to 15 pounds top, so... Is that normal for that uh, that type of cat that they get that large? Yeah, it, it is. So for for that breed, so for instance, like for Athena, and then also for the Maine Coon, they're you know well over twenty pounds. But you know, again, it's when when you have them as kittens. So again, like we rescued Athena as a kitten. Like I had no idea what type of breed that she was when she started getting bigger. I mean, she just grew out of nowhere, and that was the first time we ever had a cat that just got so completely large. And she, like I said, and when when she is displeased with something, and she lets you know, like I'm not trying to mess with her because she's so big. <laughs> like she's a big cat. Wow. So. Well, let's go to the uh, questions. Uh, people have lined up. Uh, in fact. First and foremost, let's go to Henry, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Henry. Yes, hello, Henry. Uh, Henry, you see he's uh, flummoxed. He's wondering, gee, uh, he's gone to the house. He's flushed the toilet. Uh, he's checked up to see if uh, the Bills uh, beat the uh, Chiefs. You know, he's doing everything under the under the sun. But, hey, it was your chance to be heard. Psych. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Andrew. Uh, your turn to be heard is the Hawk is talking in Stanhope, New Jersey. Andrew. In Stanhope, speaking of big cats, twice I saw bobcats in Stanhope, and they're big and bad, tough-looking creatures. Oh wow, and, bobcats! Um, okay, yeah. Have you ever seen them? They're real yes. elusive. Oh, you have seen bobcats? Wow, in the wild, that's awesome because they're elusive. And and uh, people that live for 20 years here, they've never seen them. And when I did see the first one, there was the road was built over an old tunnel that that was left. So the bobcat probably cut through that tunnel, so it didn't actually cross the road. And I just turned to look at the traffic, and I saw him prancing through the woods. It was real beautiful orange, and it had the pointed ears. And it was big and bat, like stiff, and you know, moving real like rigid, like not, not, not like a dainty, like a house cat, but <laughs> exactly. And um, my friend saw one too at Waterloo Village. He was on his kayak, and he saw it from the kayak. So it's just like a chance 
And I saw one, I think, dart under someone's porch. It looked like a big rabbit, but it was way too big. It's back paws. But I wanted to ask, uh, first, uh, it's a kind of a quiz, but I don't know if I'm really right. But it, you probably saw the infamous video where the at the zoo, the boy falls over the railing into the gorilla enclosure. Yes. And the mother, you know, the female gorilla protects the boy. And it was amazing, too, because she sniffed him, but she lifted up his shirt. And uh, Cuomo style, no, I rubbed and was smart enough to smell the skin and not the clothes. But everyone, they would just, they described that as interspecies compassion by the gorilla, which it very well could be, but it's not definitely interspecies compassion. And I'll ask, do you know why it's not definitive, definitely? Now, I think it was referring uh, specifically, we had talked uh, a few weeks ago about the gorilla in the Cincinnati Zoo, Nancy. Yeah. Remember who had grabbed the uh, child who had fallen into the gorilla pit, and then the zoo officials decided to shoot the gorilla because they felt the gorilla was a threat to the child. Others said, no, 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 she was actually protecting the child. Uh, what... What what's your perception of that? Because you've obviously been exposed to many monkeys, I, uh, uh, many uh, orangutans. I, I have seen enough, um, you know, like sort of uh, footage of all of these, um, you know, primates. Again, not for nothing. Primates are they're so similar to us that you know they actually put them on the task of you know feeding baby animals because they'll bottle feed them, they'll cuddle them, they hold them. I mean, this idea that, I mean, again, I, 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 my guess is in that situation, obviously what happened was they just got, you know, freaked out, concerned. They thought they were, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, making the situation less complicated, but they just weren't prepared for it. And the problem is the animals are doing what, I mean, there was nothing indicative of this like behavior that should have been you know led to that result so but again and this is the problem it's like animals are given so little leeway and there's so little concern for them that oh if you make a mistake oh it's not a big deal i mean this is really where the the intellectual concept needs to change like these animals are here because of us and they're forced in these these situations because of us so you should be over the top concerned about that stuff. It's like there was absolutely nothing in the behavior that indicated anything. So, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, again, that's a real shame. Like, that, that, yeah, that's ridiculous. Let's quickly go to Jim uh, calling from Midtown where the Hawk is talking here at WABC. Jim? Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, my, uh, uh, my, my cat, I got a three-and-a-half-year-old uh, male uh, black and white. I call him Sylvester because he looks like the cartoon character. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I fed him with a bottle. I mean, my, my, my super's wife feeds the strays that come around the building, you know, so she, she, uh, one of the strays had a litter three years ago and she put a sign in the elevator of the building. I have kittens. See oh, me in funny. The basement. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, so I went down there and I, and I picked up two, two little boys and, uh, and I fed them with the bottle and, and, you know, raised them. I think they were too young, but I got them, and I fed them. And uh, one of them didn't live, unfortunately. But but Sylvester is a big, healthy black and white boy, and he needs a friend. And I've been trying to get him a friend, but everywhere I go, 
it's crazy trying to find a, a cat these days through regular channels, you know? Do you have any, any thoughts on that, where I can – who I can call to, to get a get – a, I think I need to get a kitten because he's he's so territorial. I think he needs a little brother or a little sister to – you know, that won't feel, that won't threaten him. Well, I, I would suggest, Nancy, uh, uh, why don't we get uh, Jim's name and number, and you can talk with him and absolutely, yeah. try absolutely. to find him a partner for Sylvester. Absolutely, yep. All right, so we're going to put yeah. Jim on hold, uh, Jim. Uh, we'll see if we can take care of you. For any of your animal needs, doesn't matter, from A to Z, you go to uh, guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. We have a animal protection division. You uh, hit the tab. Uh, send an email to Nancy, and she'll respond to you and get back to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and like to Jim's point, right, it's like when you are trying to introduce new cats, like it's true. Like you you have to be aware of like, oh, maybe their personalities. Like if you get like a bigger, older cat, maybe your your cat in the home is a little bit nervous. But I think there's a lot of ways to introduce cats to each other. Where they're okay, they're fine with each other. So, I mean, obviously we've done that so many times over. And it's like, yeah, it's just about the the introduction process. But, yeah, I mean, certainly it's like, you know, the personalities. Like, you know, I think if you just do it the right way, you're fine. You're fine. Let's go to Richard in Rockland County where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Rich. Hey, Curtis uh, and Lisa, I called a couple of weeks ago uh, telling you that during the summer, uh, I was waiting for my buddy on my front porch to uh, drive me to some uh, meeting or something. I don't know what it was. And I noticed that there were no birds on my lawn. And I've got the big bushes all around my house and big trees on the front lawn. And there were no birds. No birds on my lawn. No birds on my neighbor's lawn. No birds in the trees. No birds on the, the houses up the street. So we got in the car and we drove around Rockland County for about two hours. And we found no dead birds on the roads, no dead birds on the lawns. They are gone. Okay, this is land. I saw a chickadee today. uh, And I heard a blue jay off in the distance. But that's it. Now, the odd thing about this is uh, just recently in around Fort Collins, uh, huge amounts of birds have uh, parked their carcasses there, and uh, not dead carcasses, but uh, live birds, extraordinary amounts. Now, around here, everybody's got a smart meter, except me. I know how to, I do it explicitly without prejudice, UCC 1-207, and I thwarted all of these uh, creepazoids that think that they can uh, outmaneuver you with the, with the uh, color flaw. So uh, you guys are going to do a deep dive into uh, what has driven these birds out. It's all over the internet that these birds are gone from the Northeast. And what the hell is that about? Would you uh, would you be kind enough, uh, Nancy, to pick up on that so that by next week we can have an answer uh, for that? Because I got to tell you, well, Richard. Right now, understood. But with all the shootings going on, the chaos, the mayhem, uh, the fear city that's gripped New York uh, City, 
Uh, we've had our hands full just dealing with requests on public safety matters through the Guardian Angels. But can you try to do some research on that, Nancy, so next week, same time, same place, uh, we can try to have an answer for what uh, clearly seems to be strange occurrence uh, with the migratory patterns of the birds through Rockland County. You know what, Amy, absolutely, and I think uh, this is what's so important, like people actually bringing this information up because there's no question all this stuff isn't being, you know, brought to the surface on the regular, but when you see stuff that really doesn't, um, you know, comport with the norm, so, I mean, I I was reading stories about um, fish washing up on shore in California, you know, the past couple weeks, that live so far under the water where they've only seen one, like, ever. It's like there's things that are going on that you need to have people who are, you know, sort of giving their information, and you, you, you can sort of detail it. So whether anyone wants to report on that, at least you know that, okay, people, you know, can call in and, you know, say this stuff. Well, please do that. I don't want to have to be put into a precarious, embarrassing situation where I got to put a safari hat on, wear those shorty <laughs> shorts with binoculars, and go out there into Nanuet going, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo, as I try to find the birds, whoop-a-woo, along the <laughs> Hudson River Basin uh, in Rockland County. You can imagine that. Curtis Lee were wearing the safari hat, wearing those shorty shorts with the binoculars, going, whoop I've never seen you in shorts. That would be funny. Yeah, no, and don't plan on ever seeing me in shorty shorts. Anyway, let's go to Larry, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Hey, Nancy, Curtis. Curtis, you had the red hat, red jacket out there in the wilderness. A hawk would try to mate with you. <laughs> uh, that was Steve from Manhattan. <laughs> Why doesn't he just be real? Just be Steve from Manhattan. Then you do your little tagline, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. But he he, he bamboozled our phone screen and he got through him. A, a phone screen, do me a favor. Uh, do what Frank Morano spent 20 minutes uh, on the radio doing one day, which is describing how he takes a paperclip and clears the wax out of his ears so that he can hear better, more intently. Uh, the voice uh, verifications that Steve of Manhattan will use to try to bamboozle on phone screeners. Is that the skill set he's going to teach the young Carmine? Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's an absolute. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Mike, uh, where the hawk is talking in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. I have three things to say. Are you there? Loud and clear, Hello? Mike. Oh, good. Yeah, I had told you two weeks ago I know a better material for this with some disposable litter boxes, but you never got back to me. Well, promise we will. Like I said, we've been in a crime crisis here. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, as and you know. Also, yes, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, but we will. Uh, as soon as we're finished okay. talking to you, we'll, we get your information, and we'll make sure we get okay, back great. to you, Mike. And also, uh, we call. Uh, I have a main coon myself. And my landlady, my landlady learned from me. She had a small. She had a small. Has a small dog. She uses a litter box just like a Maine Coon can use it, uh, whatever. Because she has a small dog just like a, a Maine Coon, and therefore sometimes they don't have to walk it at night. They just let it use the litter box. Oh wow, the dog uses a litter box. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they learn from me because of my Maine Coon. They speak uh, the the cat. The dog is as big as a Maine Coon. Why not let it use a litter box at night instead of walking it? Oh, wow. It, yeah, it's a great idea. 
Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. That's learned behavior. The dog sees the cat that's the size of a dog, use the litter box, mm-hmm. and then through learned behavior decides, instead of going outside and freezing my tuchus and having mm-hmm. having you put on, you know, like a North Face jacket on the little dog with little dog booties, <laughs> I'll just go mm-hmm. in the litter box. You got it. Do they cover it, it up? I'm sorry. Do they cover it up? Does the dog cover it up? I, I never went in my landlady's apartment, so I couldn't tell you. But oh, okay. I know she used it because uh, she wasn't walking her dog no more at night. Yeah, but you got to find out. My disposable, my ma- the material I use is different for disposable litter box that nobody uses. Yeah, but I'm telling, I, I'm telling you, Mike. The next time you call, you got to let us know uh, from your landlady's perspective that when her dog used the litter box, did he like a cat cover it up? That I couldn't tell you. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> One final thing. One final thing. You say about people are lo- losing, like, their apartment. Well, if they have, like, if they have a note from a psychiatrist, then they come under the Americans with Disability Act, and then it's very hard to get them out. If the psychiatrist says the person needs uh, that animal for some reason, psychological, then it'll be very difficult to get the person removed, have the animal removed. Wow. America's disability. Act. That's, that's very helpful. Stay on the line, Mike. Uh, hey, Maestro there, phone screen to get his information. Uh, we owe him a call. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we've been a little backed up with the crime crisis in New York City. Uh, all the shootings, all the violence. And uh, Nancy is uh, part of the Guardian Angels group, even though she's a director of our animal protection division. But it's been all hands on deck. Uh, to deal with this uh, violence. Uh, in fact, go to guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. If you have any questions or you want references about animal welfare issues from A to Z, it doesn't matter what kind of animals, what kind of birds, uh, what kind of fish, uh, just hit the tab, Guardian Angel Animal Protection, and Nancy will get back to you. Uh, and then finally, let's go up to Beantown, Jennifer in Boston, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jen. Hey there. Um, first of all, I just I love this segment, Nancy. There's something very special about you. Um, Thank you. Someday, Kurt, but I'd love for you to uh, tell us how you met Nancy. That would be wonderful to hear. <laughs> um, I think you're great together, and I think you're meant to be together. And I thank you for the good you're doing for, as I said to you last time, the two-legged, the four-legged, and uh, the fin, the fur, the feather. <laughs> but um, I thank you both. Uh, if I could... Um, I wanted to just please remind people, God forbid there's, a, you know, something goes wrong in your home in the form, especially of a fire. But if you have to leave your house rapidly, especially during a fire, I'll never forget. There was a couple, I believe last year or the year before, their Siberian Husky um, waking them to a fire. It was in New York, and um, they, they were able to get out. The family was able to get out of their apartment, get their neighbors out, and... I can barely say it. They left that dog behind. Oh, no. Exactly, Nancy. And the guy's like, oh, by the time I realized, I'm like, what? I mean, I know it's a chaotic time, so this is what I'm just trying to tell people. There are decals and things you can put on your doors and your windows to alert firefighters about pets in the home, how many, what type. Um, and that's really important. I know that the, the um, you know, if you put them on your entryways, and I have them on mine. And, um, but to have some sort of a plan, so in a panic, you know how you're getting out and you're taking your pets with you at least the very best you can. You put some forethought into it. You know what I mean? Because that haunted me, Nancy. 
this dog saved so many people and they they left it. So, you know what, exactly what you just said, I mean, that could be something that really is, like, such an important mission, letting people know, like, have this information on your door. Because, again, I mean, I, my guess would be there's no question these people were just, like, you know, totally just discombobulated in the situation, and it just happened, like, sadly. But the reality is if you can prepare for something like this on the front end, because this is what their job is. Like I've noticed that with the cats we have too, it's like they're so attentive. So it's like, if you know that they're going to be helping you on the front end, it's like, okay. So you could, I mean, you could be the the voice to let people know, Hey, just put this decal here. So people know people like, so you could be that. So it's like, at, at least it's not, you know, in vain that this, uh, you know, dog died. All right. One final uh, piece of advisory, since the weather is still below freezing on many days, uh, what should people be aware of in dealing with the animal community that is living outside? Well, I mean, I would say like the combination of, for instance, like if you're uh, if you have a car, certainly before you start the car, uh, what you should be doing is, uh, you know, knocking on the hood and things like that, because if any of the animals are, uh, you know, hanging out there because it was warm when you shut it off, like the car, then they'll, like, you know, be motivated to move and it won't be an issue. So that's number one. And then the other thing is, too, if you, you know, even, you know, if you notice animals, you don't notice animals, whatever, you can put down, you know, bowls of water, bowls of food. You can put down a little box. Like, you can put down something. So, um, again, especially with, I mean, if people notice that there's animals in the vicinity, the thing is, like, I mean, again, even, like, with pigeons in the area, they're, like, you know, they drink out of puddles, but when it gets cold, everything freezes, so there's no water source. So, you know, you wake up in the morning before you leave, before you go out, yeah, just put a bowl of water somewhere. It's like they'll find it. At least they have a, a source of water, so that's important, you know, source of food, whatever. It's like you can put out a box. It's not the most insulated box, but something to help them, you know, stay warm for a minute. Now, uh, Nancy, uh, a week ago, I related to you, as I did our audience, that uh, I was coming to WABC to do a segment with Sid uh, Rosenberg, because Bernard McGurk, who will return tomorrow, uh, was dealing with the diagnosis of uh, stage 4 prostate cancer, which I've gone through, which uh, is quite difficult. Uh, I couldn't catch the train because too many conductors and motormen had tested positive for COVID-19, so trains were running like 45-minute uh, intervals. So I decided to take a cab, something that I really shouldn't do because I've always had problems with yellow cabs. Yeah. And upon arriving at WABC, I paid the cab driver, gave him a good tip, reached inside, uh, pulled my bag out. He took off without me getting the bag completely out the door and and ran over with the back tire of his SUV. My two feet, my two dogs. Yes. And what did you think would be the result of that, huh? Well, I, I didn't know about it until the next day because, you know, you're like this. You, you like, are the person who walks off like a concussion. Like, you know, you, you play everything pretty low-key, but I, I would say definitely – don't be taking yellow cabs no more. And if you do, you really got to keep your your attention span. Like, 
don't even be standing next to it. <laughs> like you, you have to be really on point, Curtis. Like you know, you're like a a, a legend. You, you know, we need to preserve you. Don't you know? In formaldehyde. You know, uh, Nancy has said that when I die, and the over-under in point spread is that I'll die before you because you're a hipster and millennial. I still don't know how old you are. Did you want to stuff me, right? I do. You see that? You want me stuffed, and you want me in the apartment with the 16 rescue cats. So so, it would be like any normal day I come home and I see you with the cats. Like, that's how I want it. You see? You say, well, thank you, Nancy. Uh, Love you. Same time, same place next week. Red Apple Media is an equal opportunity employer. Any community organization or educational institution that maintains a job bank, provides career information or job referrals, may ask to receive information about openings at Talk Radio 77 WABC in New York City and Talk Radio 1071 WLIR in Hampton Bays. For further info, job developers and career advisors should visit wabcradio.com backslash careers. That's wabcradio.com backslash careers. That's what everybody's talking about. Talking about Judge Janine Pirro. Sunday morning at 11. It's the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Sunday morning show. Judge Janine Pirro. On 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, I was so happy to find out that the Bills had been beaten by Patrick Mahonis and the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. Mahomes. Uh, Mahonis. You know, it's like Cujones. 42-36, Josh Allen went down to defeat for two reasons. A, the favorite team of Andrew Evilized Cuomo. And secondly, their fans call themselves the Bills Mafia. So I hate all things Mafia. But I understand, Frank, that you have a podcast that everybody can reach at WABCRadio.com along with all the other podcasts, including the one I do now with my son, Anthony, who interns here and it's called Father and Son, uh, Curtis and Anthony. We've got five in the can. But I got to say, as interesting as that may be, you know me when it comes to mob talk. I'm going to be listening to this mobcast. Describe a little bit of it. Please. Well, thank you, Curtis. So when I first got this show, as you know, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit of what goes on here at the radio station. Our owner, John Katsimatidis, didn't put any restrictions at all on what I can talk about. Didn't tell me to take any opinion on anything. Didn't say do this, do that. The only two things he said was don't talk too much about Staten Island and don't talk too much about the mob. So for a year and a half, I have not discussed the mafia at all on the radio. And I also have very much an interest in talking about this. So it's been building up. It's been building up, mushrooming, generating, skyrocketing. And I've been ready to burst with uh, with all sorts of commentary and and different mob type segments. So they said to me here at the radio station, we want all the hosts 
to do their own original podcast in addition to whatever they're doing on the radio. Curtis is doing the Father and Son podcast. Uh, Bernie McGurk's got American Lives Matter. Uh, Sid has got his Citizens United podcast. Uh, Dominic Carter's got City Hall. So I said, all right, why don't I do a podcast called The Racket Report, where I explore what goes on inside the world of organized crime. So it debuted this week. It just went live a day or two ago. It's called The Racket Report. You can find it at WABCRadio.com or any podcast platform, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. And my very first guest was Anthony Ramundi, who is a, a, a former Colombo crime family enforcer and hitman. And we got into the subject of Carmine Galanti, right? You remember Carmine Galanti? Oh, yeah, with a cigar in his mouth. Exactly. So, and I always wondered, why did they end up killing yeah. Carmine Galanti? Anthony Ramundi had some interesting insight. Why was Carmine Galanti whacked? Carmine was my grandfather's younger cousin. Now, Carmine was a great earner. He was the boss of the family. But what happened was Carmine was bringing in a ton of heroin. Constantly. I mean, his, his main thing, definitely was drugs. And he was bringing in so much heroin that all the families were having a problem because the FBI, DEA, everybody was cracking down on them more and more because they didn't know exactly. They didn't really know where they were getting all the heroin from until it came out. That Carmine Galente, he was bringing it in from Sicily. He was bringing it all and having it shipped in. He had the connections. But it was like he was like he cornered the market. Let's put it this way. In the heroin trafficking, he was the guy who cornered the market. And then what happened with all the heat that was coming down, which the FBI on the families, they really couldn't do the business they wanted to do. Like, you know, with the gambling, the gambling houses, the Shylock and the bookmaker, the numbers, the sports, the horses, even with the prostitution. And they kept saying something had to be done. So finally, there was a meeting from what I was told. And the meeting came down that Carmine had to go because he was told more than once to cut back. Tone it down. You're bringing a lot of heat on us. And his answer basically was, you know, excuse my language. His answer was like, you know, f- you, I do what I want. I'm the head of the family. Made a big mistake when there was the meeting. And my grandfather, Antonio, he had to give the okay. So he gave the okay that uh, Carmine had to get clipped. Wow. Man, That's that the is... kind of insight that you're going to hear throughout this hour. That is great stuff. Last time I saw Carmine Galente, right? He was, what, in the back uh, patio yard or what is that, Mary and Joe's or Joe's and Mary's Bushwick with the cigar in his mouth after they capped him full of lead. I think Anthony Ramundi is going to do a part two with me. I don't know if it's going to be this week or next week, but he actually participated in a plot to kill Pope John Paul I. And um, it, it is a fascinating story. He said he's not able to tell the full story because he has some other book deal on this subject. <laughs> but I, I am going to talk with him. I'm going to get him to – I'm going to prod him. Well, now, this. you are going to have to appeal to our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, for a dispensation on the other side of midnight because on Thursday night for two hours, ABC TV National will devote two hours to the Gambino crime family. They have on uh, John Gotti Jr., your friend, mm. uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano, not your friend, uh, Tommy Francesi, who knows as much about organized crime as anybody. I think Michael Francesi, you mean. Uh, Tommy Francesi. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't get that. It went right over No, no, I, I get it. Okay. And uh, naturally, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, who hates everything about organized crime. 
you're going to have to critique it on the other side of midnight. I, I would like to do that. Actually. Now, it's not in podcast form, so you're going to have to ask, John, if you can do it one time, one time only on the other side of midnight and even play some of the clips. I, I, I would like to do that. I will be watching. I did see your appearance in Fear City, the, which you attributed to HBO, which was actually on Netflix. <laughs> Lest anyone try to take your direction to try to watch it, they would never know where to find it. But, uh, yes, it is on uh, Netflix, and uh, that was pretty interesting itself, although very flawed, like a lot of these specials, a very pro-government slant. And I'm curious, I'm glad that they're having John Gotti Jr. on this special to provide an an alternative narrative to what the government says. Well, it's interesting. You know Michael Francesi. You've interviewed him. You know John Gotti Jr., obviously better than uh, most people in the civilian life. Uh, you know Curtis Sliwa, obviously. You need. You know the major players in this. And you obviously know a hell of a lot about Sammy the Bull Gravano since he lived out in Bull's Head in Staten Island. That's right. And his daughter lives there. What, does she live in that apartment building right on the not sure where Bay Street or uh, whatever? Sure. God, this is going to be great. Frank, instead of critiquing the Oscars, you get to critique the two-hour show on Channel 7 ABC. I think it's 8 to 10 or within that time frame, right? 8 to 10. And then Frank Morano comes out the other side of midnight and critiques that. And then I bash you over the weekend because I know you're going to diss and dismiss me. We're going to get you to stick around one more hour, Curtis. Oh, this right? is great. Wow, more talk time. The wonderful. Oh, God. Can we do... Can we do... Mob talk? Oh, no, no, that's right. We're restricted. I'm sorry. I love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list for mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family-owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in-store, by phone, or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com, I-T-A-L-O, FineFoods.com. Tell them Vinny Madunio and WABC sent you. Manja.